and here we go. Uh, first of all, gentlemen, thanks for being here. Jeremy, thanks for coming back again. Thanks, Joe. And uh, thanks to you, sir. It's very exciting to be here. Very exciting for me to be here to be able to talk to you about your story. Uh, thank you. I'm glad to be here. Uh, David, tell everybody who you are and tell everybody your background, please. Okay. And my name is David Fravor. Uh, I served 24 years in the military, enlisted Marine for a couple years. They sent me to the Naval Academy. Then I flew for 18 years for the Navy. Um, had literally flew A6s, Hornets, and then Super Hornets. Had every qualification you could get in the airplane, everything, even the stuff they're not doing anymore. So I had NVG, high, low, went to Top Gun. And at the time of the incident that we're going to talk about, I was a commanding officer of VFA-41, the Black Aces. I'm, uh, I've gone through a, a journey with this whole UFO stuff, from being a full-on true believer to being incredibly skeptical to trying to be open-minded to being more of a believer now than I think I've ever been before. And one of the things that I've always said is the people that I believe – the, there's a lot of loony people out there, but the people that I put my trust in are high-level military people like yourself. So when I hear someone like you who has a story that defies logic or defies conventional understanding of how aircrafts work, that's when that's when I sit back and I go, okay, this this is a different thing. Because you know, you know, there's always people that are telling you they're psychic, or they can, you know, they sense things, or they're in communication with Bigfoot. There's always loony people out there. But when someone is in the military, someone is trained to fly these incredible. I mean, how how expensive are those jets? Uh, when we had them, they're about seventy million dollars a piece. Yeah, they don't give those to morons. Mm, typically not. <laughs> <laughs> Some people in my family would probably argue that point, but uh, hey, better lucky than good. It just seems to me that this is for rational people uh, that want to look at this whole UFO phenomenon objectively. You're the type of person that I want to talk to. So I was very excited to have you in here. So what year was your incident? And you, you have a very, very famous incident that's corrob corroborated by actual evidence, which is one of the rare ones. What year was it and where did it take place? So it was 2004. November 14th of uh, the – it's really – if you draw San Diego to Ensenada, Mexico, we're about 60 miles off the coast in between the two. We're doing workups. So when we get ready to deploy, this was for the 2005 deployment. Uh, we were going at sea for November and December of 2004. So we had been out. I had just taken over the squadron mid-October. So I had been the CO for a month. So we go out uh, and we're putting the battle group pieces together. So it's not just the, the air wing, but we're, you know, we're, we're on the carrier. We've got the cruiser. We've got all the support ships out there. And we're going to integrate all the defenses and train as one unit. So the exercise that we're going to do is an air defense exercise where there's good guys, bad guys. They're all from internal from the air wing. So the bad guys today are going to be the Marines, uh, VMFA-232, the Red Devils. So they're going to launch, and they're going to go about 100 miles south of the ship, and we're the good guys. And it's we call it a 2v2, so it's two of us against two of them. And we're going to work with the USS Princeton, which is going to be the controller, and they're going to control the blue forces, and then the red guys are going to give us a presentation that, you know, they're going to try and intercept so we can stop them from getting up towards a carrier. So that's kind of the training set that we're all good. So the Marines take off first, and they start heading to the south. Now, we have no idea that for two weeks, this, the two weeks we've been at sea, they've been tracking these things coming out of the sky. And when I talked to the Princeton controller, he's like up to about a dozen of them. They would come down from above 80,000 feet. They'd 
drop down to about 20,000 feet. They'd hang out, and then they'd go straight back up after about three or four hours. Now, when you say they've been tracking them, who specifically? This is the USS. The Princeton was tracking them. They saw them on the Nimitz radar, and the E-2 could see them. Um, so, because they're out there, you know, that radar is on all the time. And the, the SPY-1 system on an Aegis cruiser is, you know, the state is probably the most, one of the most sophisticated systems in the world. So, typically, when something like this happens and there is some unexplained phenomenon, what do they do? Uh, in this case, that you know, to, if it was if we were in a threat environment, they would tell us. But we're off the coast of San Diego; it's, it doesn't come to the air wing, so we have no idea that these things are out there at all. So they observe these things, and they never bother telling any of you guys. That's correct. So they just knew that these things had been visiting this area, yes. but they just allowed this training exercise to take place anyway. Yeah, the, talking to them the previous for the two weeks, they would show up, but it was when we weren't flying. So mm-hmm. the typical carrier schedule is, you know, for us, it was about noon to midnight. It's a 12-hour day. There's reasons for that. It can go a lot longer. They can, But for training, we just do the 12-hour day thing. And it's cyclic ops. So you got guys taking off and landing periodically. So we were on one of the first goes. You know, it's, you know, noon, 1 o'clock, somewhere around there. And we take off. The Marines take off first. And my buddy Cheeks, who's the CEO of the Marine Squadron, was one. he was leading the Red Air. They had When he launched off the carrier first, they called him up and said, hey, what do you got on board? Well, the... The small, the original legacy F-18s don't have as much gas as the Super Hornets. Super Hornets about 30% bigger. So they start talking to him about fuel, and based on how long we're going to be airborne and everything else, they go, hey, why don't you just go ahead and proceed to your, your cap point because we had just taken off. And that's when the controller had come up and said, hey, yeah, I forget our cost. It's probably like dealer is usually what we went. So they'll be like dealer 1-1, one, one, uh, this is uh, Princeton Control. What do you got? You know, Say your loadout. <laughs> and I kind of chuckled. He said – I said, well, I got a CADM-9, which is a, it's a, basically a, just a blue metal tube with a seeker head for an AIM-9 IR missile. It's a training. It doesn't come off the airplane. You can beat it with a sledgehammer. That's the only way you're going to get it off, or you got to unlock the lugs with a key. So I'm like kind of chuckling. He goes, well, hey, we're going to cancel the training. So we're like, okay. He says, we got real-world vector, and they're going to send us out to the west. So picture if it's, uh, you know, if you've got a clock, the Nimitz is in the middle. Uh, we're a little bit. Uh, south of that, about 40 miles south, and then the Marines are about 100 miles south of the ship, about 60 miles between the two of us. So as this is all happening, my wingman is joining up, all right, and these are F-18Fs, so there's two people in each jet. So it's me and my WIZO, which is weapon systems operator, and I've got the other pilot and the weapon systems operator in the other jet. So they tell us all this, hey, we're in a real-world vector, and they send us out 270, about 60 miles away from where we're going. So now we're going out even further out to sea. We have no idea what we're intercepting, and this is when the, the controller starts talking to us. He says, hey, sir, we've seen these objects. They've been – for two weeks, they've been coming down, and he's given us the whole story. He says, we need you to go investigate. We want to know what these are. So but they're asking you to investigate in a jet that's unarmed. That's correct. Okay. Yeah, we have no – and there's reasons for that, that we don't fly – we typically don't fly with live ordnance unless we're actually going into, like, a combat zone or we're on a training range and we're going to shoot something. And the reason is you can go through history of the Navy or Air Force. If you put live missiles on airplanes and then you start doing training where you're squeezing the trigger, someone always messes the switchology up and someone gets shot down. It's happened multiple times. So we don't do it. You know, there's times that we do, but it's rare. So we start flying out to the west. Now, I want you to think because the other pilot has a, you know, when you talk to, it's it's out there, it was a female. When you talk to her, it's uh Here's the kind of goes through the mindset of, hey, we're off the coast of Mexico, real world vector. We have no idea what we're going to look at. Probably drug runner because you get the Mm. drug runners coming up the coast. So we're like, okay. 
So we drive out, and the, they're calling down ranges. So they're telling us, hey, it's 270 at 30 miles at 20,000 feet. And it's, you know, and then you just count down the ranges. And we're talking back and forth the whole time. So they got to a point where they say, hey, merge plot, which means radars have resolution cells, you know, range and azimuth of what the radar can actually see. Once you're inside that box, you can't tell the difference between me and the object I'm going at. We're just become one big blob. Mm. So they call merge plot. And so the other jet is on my left-hand side. Um, and we're gonna, and I'm going to go to a clock code to make it simple. So the object we're going to end up looking for is in, right in the middle of the clock. And we are at the 6 o'clock position. And my wingman is off to my left side. So it's she's further down with her wizzo. So as we're looking around, we, we look to the right. And there's a – it was, yesterday was a perfect example out here. The water is perfectly calm, no white caps. I mean it's literally a perfect San Diego, California day. And we see white water, something like if you see a seamount, you know, rock underwater when you're standing on the shore and the waves are breaking over it and you're like, what is that? It's usually because there's a rock under the water. So it looks like that, but it's about the size of a 737. It actually kind of has a shape of like a cross and it's pointing to the east. So you've got the long part going east-west and you've got a couple of things going north and south. So as we're looking at it, because that kind of draws our eyes, we're like, oh, that's kind of odd. We look down and the, the wizzo in the other airplane comes up and says, hey, skipper, do you? And that's about what he gets out of his mouth. And I'm kind of looking at the same thing. I go, dude, do you see that? What is that thing? And what we see is this white tic-tac-looking object just above the surface of the water pointing north-south, and it's going north-south, east-west. It's just radically moving forward, back, left, right at will. And it's moving around the disturbance, the, the white water that we see. How big is this thing? So, uh, over time, it's about 40 feet long. And the way I estimate that is, I mean, I got a lot of time fighting other airplanes, so it's about, about the size of a Hornet, fuselage. So that's why you say 40 feet. And this thing's just going left. So the first thing you see when you look down, you go, and this is with our eyes. It's not sensors, right? So we're looking down at this thing, and first thing you think is helicopter, right? They, they, helicopters typically stay below 200 feet when we're out there, and they're just driving around. We're, we're pretty far away from the ship for a helicopter for one of ours. So what is it? So the first thing you look for is rotor wash. You know, if you've watched any TV show that starts kicking the water up, and you can see that. It's really easy to see from the air. So we're like, oh, no rotor wash. Matter of fact, don't see any rotors. Don't see any tail rotor. Don't see any, you know, the main rotors. We're like, oh, that's kind of weird. So as we're driving around, we're looking at this thing. We get to about the 9 o'clock position. How far away are you from this thing? I'm at 20,000 feet, and it's right down on the surface, right off our right side. So I'm probably maybe a couple miles lateral and 20,000 feet and we're just watching it move around and so it's very small in your eyes um not overly small i mean an airplane down that low it's 40 feet you, you can, can see, see pretty it. well uh, with it was pretty clear so i'm like okay so i said i'm gonna go check it out that's what we're trained to do the other pilot says hey i'm gonna stay up here and i'm like that's perfect so now we'll, we'll get some separation we'll get it from different views and the other airplane will i kind of have a god's eye view of everything that's going on as i go down and check this thing out so I start driving around, and it's still doing its forward, back, left, right. It's still pointing north-south. We get to about the 12 o'clock position. I'm just in a nice, easy descent. And a reason, you know, because I've been asked, oh, can you go more aggressive? You can, but when you're out over water, the water looks the same at 20,000 feet as it does at 2,000 feet. You don't, you know, so you can easily put yourself in a non-recoverable position if you're not paying attention and you go into the water. So I got this nice, easy descent. I get to about 12 o'clock, and as I'm coming down, you know, I, I – could guess probably about, you know, 18,000 feet now, a couple thousand feet below the other airplane. The tic-tac just kind of rapidly goes boop and turns. So now it's kind of pointing east-west and now it mirrors us. So it's above the surface. 
we're up high, we're coming down, and it starts coming up. I'm like, well, this is getting interesting. So we kind of drive all the way around a circle. I'm descending, it's coming up, and I get over to about the 8 o'clock position of the, on the clock, and it's over at about the 2 o'clock position. Well, the quickest way, as we know as kids, to get someone, you know, you can keep going around the circle, nothing's going to happen. You cut across the circle. So I'm about, I don't know, probably two to 3,000 feet above it, and I just kind of drop my nose aggressively, and I cut across the circle, and it's coming this way. Because I'm trying to fly to where it's going to be because I want to mm. join on it. I want to see how close I can get to it. Right. And as I'm pulling up, it's kind of starting to cross my nose, and it starts to accelerate. And within about less than a second, as I start to pull nose onto it and it crosses right in front of me, it just goes poof, and it's gone. So I call the other airplane, and I said, hey, do you guys, do you guys see that thing? And they're like, sir, it's gone. We don't, we don't see it at all. So I'm like, okay, that's kind of weird. So we, we don't see it. We're looking. At the same time, I say, hey, let's turn around and let's go back to see what was in the water. You know, there's, was there something there? So we turn around. We're right there. We haven't gone anywhere. It's gone. Water's perfectly. There's no white water, nothing. It's just blue. We're like, okay. So we turn back around. Now we're heading back out towards the east. And I tell the controller, I said, well, I said, uh, you know, I first said, I'm kind of weirded out. And I told my, my backseater that. And we start heading back. And the, the controller on the Princeton comes up and he says, sir, you're not going to believe this, but that thing is back at your cap point. That was our original point where we were going to hold 40 miles south of the ship. So this thing has went from wherever we were at to, you know, about 60 miles in, you know, maybe 30, 40 seconds. It's already over there. And it just – and they didn't track it. It just appeared. He just it shows back up on their radar and they go, it's here. So we're like, okay. So we fly back. We don't see it. We don't see it on our radar. We don't see it on any of our sensors. We do like two runs and we come back to the ship and land. So as we're in our – we call it the PR shop. We're taking off our flight gear. One of my crews is getting ready to go out, and I think they were going to be on a tanker mission, but they had a, a targeting pod on board. So they launch off, and we're telling them about this before, and I and, uh, the backseater, uh, Chad, says he, he's really determined. He's going to find this thing. So he tells the pilot, hey, we're going to find this thing. So they're just out driving around, and in the back seat of a Super Hornet, uh, there's no stick, but there's side stick controllers, and they're to control the sensors because that's what the weapon systems guys do. And they can change displays really fast by just hitting a button, and it'll flip from the radar to the targeting pod. And the way the system actually works is when you see something on the radar and you designate it as your primary target, all the other sensors will look at that point. So it's, everything is kind of synced together. So he picks up a hit on his radar, and he goes to lock it up because I've watched all the tapes. He goes to lock it up, and immediately the radar can tell it gets signals back that it's being jammed. So, and technically jamming is an act of war. It starts jamming the radar, goes into a jam extrapolate, a bunch of stuff happens on the scope. Well, he's smart enough to castle to his targeting pod, and he takes a passive track. And that's the video that you see of the Tic Tac where it's just sitting in the middle of the screen real quiet. Um, so he does that, and he, and he goes through If you watch the video, if we had it, I'd go through it with you. But they go through all the different modes. So he goes, it's an IR and an EO. EO is TV. It's a black and white TV camera. We, do, we can get the video, right, online? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, oh, let's, yeah. Let's get the video, Jamie. Where would you uh, can't show it to anybody? Uh, yeah. We can't we can't show it on YouTube, but you can see it, and people will cool. be able to go to it. You know what we'll do? Go to the video, 
and we'll tell people when we're starting and we'll tell people what the title of the video that you get to is and they can sync it up themselves if they're watching it it's publicly owned sorry yeah it's it's publicly owned it's you know american government released right. it, so it is actually something in the public domain so you think we could play it on youtube and uh, not get pulled yeah a hundred percent you think can, so jamie it's a government I, those things i would say yes we should be able to but sometimes those things get messy. So I just, let's take a I'd chance. Okay, let's right, take right, a chance right, with right, this right, one. Right, right. I know if you go, if, if you're on a New York Times article, there's a link to it. It's to a the Pentagon thing. release. The, the YouTube is crazy with copyright stuff. And we, we've always been like two steps away from getting pulled off of YouTube completely. It's a real disaster. It's, I, I understand from their perspective, there's a, a lot of legal issues they have to deal with. But I have it on a private server. I could maybe send Jamie. The issue, it. I believe, though, is the actual copyright of the video itself. Oh, it's just it's a Pentagon release. Pentagon video. release, public okay. domain. And the Pentagon's going to come after us. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think so. I don't now. think so either. Did you find it? Yeah, I, I want to find a good version of the video that doesn't have somebody Jeremy, else's copyright. Jeremy, do you know? Yeah, I've got okay. an unwatermarked version. Let me just look it yeah, up and send it to you. Jeremy will get it to it. us. I have to figure out how to send it to you right here. Give me a second. And Do you have uh, AirDrop? Oh, could you AirDrop? Yeah, it? but I got it on a it? pay. I got it on a page, a private page. I can send Jamie. Oh yeah, okay, okay. okay. Do you have Jamie's uh, info? Uh, no. Yeah, send. I'll write it down. Okay, I'll figure or it out. Or you can send you it to me, and I'll send it to him. Okay, that's pretty easy. Um, sorry to disrupt the momentum. No, you're good. Um, but uh, I think this it's probably important to be able to have this. Uh, the, the video itself so you could just talk about it and um we're about to uh yank it up here okay jamie wrote it down for you there uh, you thanks. go give me a second to get it out okay and for people who don't know jeremy uh also produced uh bob lazar area 51 and flying saucers and he was in here when we had bob lazar in talk about bob's experience and Jesus, if that wasn't uh, a game changer for me and for a lot of other people. This is a subject that it's so easy to mock. You know, this is why I think it's so important that we talk to people like you. Because, like I said, just your average everyday UFO crackpot, they believe everything and anything. Have you, did you, had you ever had any UFO experiences before this? No, the, the irony, and I, I tell this story, my mother-in-law... <laughs> She'll be listening. She she literally every time I would go home, she would ask me, "Hey, did you see a UFO? Did you see a UFO?" And I'd be like, "No." <laughs> and when I first started dating my wife, she was a big like National Enquirer. She had all the 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 you know supermarket tabloids, and I would always just feed her crap for it. So I, this happens, and you know, and I'm I never say a word. So my friends all knew it was a great story over beers because they'd be, "Hey, what's the coolest thing you ever saw flying?" I go, "I chased a UFO," and they go, "Get out of here!" I go, "No, seriously." And I tell them the story, and they're like, "Dude," I go, "Yeah." So I go home and, and uh, I got, got asked by Lou Elizondo to do the New York Times article, which as like anything else, I always say no. Like it took a bunch of times to get me on your show. Jeremy kept asking, 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 and it was – Thank you, Jeremy. My yeah, yeah, it was, yeah. You got to thank my contractor's wife, Angel, who – we were at a party drinking and she goes, you got to do Rogan. I go, what? She goes, it's the biggest podcast on the planet. She goes, you got to do it. And I go, all right, I'm going to do it. Just for you, I'm going to do this show. So, Shout out to Angel. Yeah, from New Hampshire. So um, – <laughs> So my mother-in-law, we're sitting there, and, and I know the New York Times article is going to come out. And, and so I'm, it was at Thanksgiving in 20 – when the article came out, 17. So it was Thanksgiving in 2017. And everyone had kind of left the house. So it's just my wife and my in-laws, a couple of us sitting in the kitchen. And I said, hey, I got to tell you guys this. They said what? I said, there's going to be this article comes out in the New York Times, and I'm in it. And they're like, yeah. I go, well – I chased a UFO. My mother-in-law's like, ha-ha. 
She looks at my father-in-law. He's rolling his eyes looking at me like, oh, are you serious? And I go, yeah, oh, yeah. And, and uh, she's like, you never told us. I go, I never really told anyone. I mean, my wife and kids knew the event happened, but they didn't have all the details because it's just one of those things we just didn't, I just didn't get into. Is it classified? No. Or was it at any point in time? No, there's a lot of rumors out there that uh, I was classified and the ship got locked down. No, it wasn't. It was, we were never, men in suits did not show up. Um, no one told us not to talk about it. And this is because there's a lot of other people saying other things. And I said, this, look at it. Here's the context. So in the battle group, you've got the admiral, you've got the captain of the ship, the captain of the Princeton, and then you've got the other COs. So in position-wise, I'm probably, as a CO of a squadron, in the top 20 out of 6,000. And no one came to talk to me. No one came to take my tapes. No one showed up in a suit. No one told me not to talk. No one talked to any of my air crew that were involved in this all. There were six people total involved, the two that shot the video and the four of us that looked at it for five minutes with our eyes. No one, nothing. It just, uh, and I can get into how, uh, the, you know, there's a report that, uh, that George Knapp got released. It's a, I call it the unofficial official report. Um, and I had met someone and I'm like, hey, can you find anything out? I had this incident. And normally when you, you tell people this, they look at you like, dude, what are you smoking? And I'm like, no, no, I'm good. I'm tested. And they go, <laughs> and and they said, well, let me let me see what I can do. And I had got a call. Um, I was working, I was doing some aerospace work, and I had gotten a call on my cell phone from a guy. And he said, hey, I want to investigate your incident. And I go, Okay. So he did. He investigated the incident, and it was very, very thorough. I mean, if you've read the, it's about ten pages long. And he, I mean, he tracked down everybody. He tracked down all the people that were the air crew that were involved. He talked to, he tracked down the admiral. He talked. I mean, he, he it was a pretty thorough report. And I didn't think anything of it, you know, because you know, you know, the the people were worded that's out there, so they want to do FOIA, but it was never released in a FOIA request. I actually had the Navy call me. I'd been out of the Navy for like six years. and Let's got, explain to people that means uh, Freedom of Information, freedom information Act. So I got called uh, by a public affairs person from the Navy and said, hey, is this Commander Fravor? And I said, yeah. And they said, hey, do you know of any documentation on your UFO incident off the Nimitz? And I said, official. And she said, yeah. I said, no, because I knew the report existed. But to me, it was an unofficial because I didn't know who where it went. I And I had a copy of it. But because it wasn't official, well, then – Years later, I find out that the guy who actually did the report was part of the ATIP team, and I was talking to Lou Elizondo, who runs that program, and Lou showed me the documentation of the original, I think it's like 13 people that were part of ATIP, and they were FOIA exempt. And I'm like, well, that's kind of, well, hey, I know that guy. <laughs> He's the guy that did the report, which is why it never, ever came out mm. until uh, George got his hands on it. How does something Freedom of Information Act exempt? Um, obviously, DOD has the ability, because I, I, I'm a... I'm not a conspiracy theory person at all. I mean, I'll just tell you that. You know, and I think there's reasons that the government doesn't tell the public everything. Um, and I don't speak for the government, but I think there's a good reason for that, that not everything needs to go out to the public. But most of it does. And they just, what they do is they put a clause on, hey, for this program or whatever we're doing, which would have been an ATIP program, the work that they do and what they find is not, it's not releasable through Freedom of Information Act. There's probably other avenues to get that. You know, and then you go, well, what really is freedom of information? Because I got into this on a – I was talking to someone who's a conspiracy theorist, and they said, well, so-and-so wrote, and they're not getting any information on your event. I said, 
So what are they going to do? They're going to call up. You're going to put in your request for, for freedom of information. You go, here's what I want. It goes to some poor guy at the Pentagon who's like, I have no idea what this is. And he searches around. He doesn't find anything. He looks at his bud and I get it all for you. I go, hey, Joe, you got anything on the Nimitz incident? And you go, nope. And I go, okay, well, I didn't find anything. I looked. I did my due diligence, but I'm not going to spend the next six months of my life doing your research project for you. Right. So and you get nothing and then you assume the government's covering up when the got government it. really isn't. They just, you know, the guys doing the research doesn't know where it's at or Makes doesn't have access to it. So. Makes sense. Um, Jamie, we have the video? Okay. Here we go. Now, explain what what is what are we seeing and why are we seeing it in this uh, this particular Okay, shade. so we'll just kind of go around. So if you look at the uh, don't OPRs operate on the top left corner. NAR is narrow field of view, which is zoomed in. Uh, IR at the top middle, it means it's an infrared mode. So instead of seeing color, you're seeing temperature variations. Okay. And these things are extremely sensitive to when like tenths of degrees, they will tell you the difference due to color. So it'll go from black to white. So in this case, white is hot. So if you look down on the bottom left corner, it says WHT. Um, mm -hmm. That's white. It means white is hot. So the object that you're looking at is hotter than the sky around it. But what you also notice is there's no plumes. Now, if you're looking at an airplane, when you get closer, you'll actually see the exhaust coming out, and there will be a, a really glowing plume. That's important as, as we look at the video. And then the most of the stuff on here you really don't need to know. What you can look at is uh, the bottom right corner, it says 19,990 and a B. That's the altitude. And uh, if you look up in the little words where it says HDG and then BALT, it's autopilot. So it's on altitude hold. It's just flying uh, for that. So you can go ahead and play the video. And so those two bars next to the white object, that's a, that's, a, that's a passive track. So what he's done is he's commanded the FLIR to track that. So what the system does is it uses uh, – it's actually tracking. It can track pixels, and it's just basically blocked those hot pixels, those white pixels from the black ones. And then you're going to see now – pause it real quick. So over the top, see, it went to a white screen with a black object. This is a black and white TV mode. And if you look at the top, it says TV. So narrow in TV mode is actually – you can get closer than narrow in IR. It, it's literally narrow in IR is about medium in TV mode. So there's, you can get closer with the TV mode. So as you look at it now, in this case, you would actually start to see um, stuff going on. And even in TV mode, because you get exhaust, you know, the black exhaust that comes out, you'll usually be able to see kind of some of that coming out of the back and you don't see anything. This thing's just sitting there. And if you look at the, uh, the top where it says three right, that's the pod is looking three degrees right of the nose of the airplane, right? So he's just flying along the bottom numbers. Don't worry, those are time. So it's 41.56. So go ahead and hit play. And what, what he's doing is he's going – Chad's going through all the different modes because he's like, oh, I got it. And he's going to try and see the best video that he can get. Now, there's rumors that this video is like 10 minutes long. No, what you're looking at is the entire video. Now, notice where it says 99.9. .9. Mm -hmm. So hit pause real quick. What that means is the why he's got the pod, the targeting pod, because that's his primary sensor right now. The radar is still trying to look at this object and trying to range it, and the radar can't get ranging on it. So – the object is doing something to say, I'm not giving you back because it's just a Doppler radar, just like a police radar is a Doppler. It's trying to get a ranging on you, and it can't do it. So when it says 99.9, .9, the radar cannot see this object right now. Hmm. It's not allowing it to get ranging. And I think that's super important, Dave, the way he explained it to me. Active jamming compared to passive jamming. This is a technology that is actively jamming this system. Rather than something like stealth aircraft, which is well, the shape and the texture explain. of the – yeah, it's because everyone thinks stealth is invisible. It's not. It's it's just it's a technology to to basically make it harder for radars to see you. You know, and that's the whole thing. You know, if you look at uh, you know airplanes that are nose on, 
uh, are harder to see than airplanes at the sides. Kind of like think of a barn door. If you're looking at the whole barn door, it's really mm-hmm. easy to see. If I turn the barn door sideways where it's really thin, it's going to be a lot harder for you to see it. Got it. So that's it. that's the easiest, most basic way to look at this. So you keep going. You can play again. And you can look. The, the airplane is still sitting at 20,000 feet. It's doing 250 knots. He's going to go through different modes and try and lock it. And uh, it's just kind of sitting. And all of a sudden, as the video goes on, I think it's a minute and a half long. See, it's going to try and reacquire. It recenters the pod. So it's it's slowly drifting to the left. The, the, the Hornet is still going the same heading. It's just kind of hanging out. And they're just filming this thing. And then when they get close, it's going to zing off the left-hand side. When you see it on a full – because this – you know, you think digital, you'd be able to get a one-for-one copy, unlike, you know, when you copy your album to a cassette, you know, you lose a little quality. Well, you still do in digital world, and they're, yeah. off it goes to the left. And that's pretty fast to leave that field of view. On the when We we have big monitors that we look at these when they come back, so we're looking at the original tapes. So Play the end of that again, please, Jamie. So when it's taking off, how fast when, – when it just sort of, like, leaves the field of view and takes off to the left, how fast is that going? Uh, I would say – Pretty fast. It's an estimate. If we had ranging, you know, you could obviously do the triangle and go, hey, because we mm-hmm. know how big the field of view is. But for something to leave the field of view that fast with the pod just staring is pretty fast. I mean, it, it just – it's like out of here. Like nothing that we have? No, because we can't – I don't care what airplane is. So let's just use the F-22 Raptor. That's probably one of the it's, – it's probably the best airplane in the world right now performance-wise. Um it can't take off like that, it, especially if it's a hover. I mean, you're, you're talking something that's just sitting in space in the wind, and then it just all of a sudden accelerates. Airplanes don't work that way. And it's not leaving any exhaust plume. No, notice there's none. And when Play you go back again, to the Jamie IR. At the end? Even in the IR, you don't Yeah, see, see there's IR zoomed in, and there's no – you would see a plume if that was an airplane. It's creepy how it takes off. Yeah. With active jamming, it's intelligently controlled. There's no rotors. There's no plumes. There's no exhaust. There's no tail fin. There's no uh, tail number. This thing goes from a standstill, takes off. It's a propulsion system we don't have in our inventory, and no other nation does. That's how it's understood by the government. Now, that that's so if the fastest plane on Earth was trying to do that same maneuver, this system would be able to track it? Um, yeah, well, yeah, it would stay with it until it got to the, the limits of the pod, you know, mm-hmm. as far as looking to the left. But right. uh, and you know, the radar would see it. I mean, we get you get close enough, you're gonna, you know, you, everything becomes visible because you get burned through with radar and how how radars actually work. This one is, you know, <laughs> you, you tell me, but it, this was it, performance beyond. I mean, it's like when we saw it disappear. When it flew in front of my nose, and I'm talking something, I'm, I'm within a half mile of it, looking at it, and it gets in front of me and just disappears. So take, we'll just go to something that everyone knows is fast. Let's just say SR-71 that's doing Mach 3. You know, the visibility is 50 miles. So even at 35 miles a minute, I'm going to be able to see this thing turn into a little dot as it goes off into the horizon for a, probably a minute. The thing that we saw disappeared in a second. Just gone. And that's from two different angles. Remember, the other airplane's 8,000 feet above me because we, we get close to it at about 12,000 feet. So the other airplane's above me looking down, and when it disappeared, I said, do you guys see it? And they said, no, it's gone. It just literally was poof. Now, when you came back, and w- w- what do you do with this information? Do you report it? Do you talk to people about it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the typical process, anytime we fly, everything gets debriefed. So... Because it was a two-seat airplane, uh, usually the junior person in the jet goes down. So 
I was the boss, so I wasn't going down there. So we have a thing called Civic CVIC, which is the Carrier Intel Center. So they go down. We always take our tapes because we record stuff when we're fighting. They take it down, and it's really to exercise the system when we're in training so that when we actually get over to, in this case, we are going over to the Persian Gulf, you know, anything that we do comes in and gets debriefed, and then it all gets sent off. That's how you get the CNN video and all that. So they go down, and they debrief, and they have to tell, hey, we we chase this object. We don't know what it is, you know, and, of course, everyone now is going to make jokes because we know we're going to catch shit because that's how the Navy works, you know. Right. If, and I told him, I said, I remember telling the guy in my back seat, I said, dude, you know, we're going to catch maximum shit for this. <laughs> and he goes, yes, sir, I'll show you the comics. I have them on my phone. We do, the air plan comes out. So we know it's going to come down. So he goes in, he, they debrief this, both crews go in. And, and uh, of course, everyone at Intel thinks this is hilarious. So the flight that, you know, Chad comes in with his tapes, you know, when he lands, and this, here's the, the thing. Oh, VFA 41. Ha <laughs> ha. Guys, see any UFOs out there? And he pulls out that tape and drops it on the counter. He goes, Yeah, it's on here. So they're like, Oh shit. So they copy it. They play it. And there's a big, it looks like a rack system. They put the 8 mil in, it gets copied to a hard drive. And then they, they archive it. So you go, Okay. So they got this video. And then, you know, the ship, this spreads, you know, if you have a rumor on the ship, 5,000 people are going to know about it within probably 30 minutes. I mean, it spreads that. It's like a virus. So the whole ship now knows that we chased this. I guarantee the whole Princeton knew this stuff was going on. Um, and it goes all the way up. The admiral knows about it. The captain of the ship knew about it. And uh, and then all the movies, because we have they play movies for us on the ship, and they run like a 12-hour loop. So, of course, the movie selection is Men in Black, Men in Black 2, <laughs> Signs, Independence Day, um, and – and we know we're going to be on the airplane comic because there's always a comic. So you, you do something stupid or like this, then you're going to be on the comic. I'll show you the comics here in a little bit. Okay. They're, they're pretty funny. Um, but, uh, you know, so that went on for two days. But, you know, we're in the middle of workups. And I got a squadron to run. So it's like, you know, there was – after about the first day and a half, it really died down. And then it was the – there's always that closet people that you don't think that are really like UFO buffs. And, you know, like mm. we had one of, one, of the, one of the Marines would always come and he'd sit down. Hey, hey, Skipper, can I sit with you? I go, you want to talk about the UFO? He goes, yeah, I just, I can't get it out of my mind. And then we would just sit there and talk about it. You know, and to me it was like, eh. you know, weirdest thing, you know, I, my entire now flying career is defined by five minutes of chasing this white Tic Tac <laughs> vice, almost 4,000 hours, <laughs> you know, flying. So Now, did you encounter anyone else that had a similar experience? I've talked to the guys, a couple of guys from the East Coast event, the gimbal video. Mm-hmm. Um, one of them I talked to daily. Um, he's a pretty good friend of mine. Um, totally different. Now, keep in mind, ours is 2004. Um, the gimbal video is 2015. The funny part about the gimbal video and the East Coast stuff that was going on, because that's off the vacate, so uh, off the coast of the United States, are, they're called warning areas, and all they are is they're, if you look on an aviation map, they're these big areas that are blocked off by blue and they say like whiskey 291 or whiskey 243 and is the gimbal video available in the same way that that video is available yes yeah government okay yeah. find that jamie so and i was talking to him about it because i and i actually a buddy of mine who just retired he was the, the he led the fighter wing on the east coast and i had called him up because we start finding out that these things were so prevalent out off the east coast of the united states and there's a couple of them so there's the you know, we're going to talk what they started seeing originally was these things, and one of them almost hit, an airplane almost hit one of these things, but it looks like a cube inside of a clear beach ball. 
So they don't know if it's actually like a surrounding or it's you don't know if it's a force field. And you see kind of in the gimbal video, it's got like an aura around it where ours didn't. I always laugh. I go, ours was a Tic Tac. These are not. That means there's different stuff out there that we don't know. But they had two airplanes flying. And we fly when we go out to, to train. Uh, we usually we have a distance. You know, We'll just say we're you know, a mile apart. As we're flying out, so they're flying out, and they're, you know, the airplanes are deployed. We call it combat spread. And uh, one of the airplanes almost hits one of these, goes close down like 50 feet down the side and almost hits one of these floating cubes inside of the beach ball. And someone goes, wow, oh, it's, a, it's a balloon. It's not a balloon. I mean, these things are literally sitting still. They're, they're no effect from the wind. So if you got 90 knots of wind and they talk about it, these things are just sitting there. So – 60 or 70 people had seen it because the radars, the, the newer radar in the Super Hornets is extremely, extremely capable, okay? And at first when they started seeing stuff, they were like, ah, it's just like maybe it's the radar just giving me a false target. And eh, that radar really doesn't give false targets. And then someone did exactly what Chad did is they threw their targeting flare out there, and all of a sudden when you see a heat signature or there's a return, there's obviously something out where that blip is at. What, what is a targeting flare? Uh, that's a the we call it the AT flare. It's, it's an advanced targeting flare. It sits on the left side of the airplane, and it's uh, when so you, you launch s- it like a flare. No, no, it's a it's a flare, forward-looking infrared receiver. Oh, so it's when you see the bombs blowing up on TV, and it's that looks like a black and white, and you yes. see it fly. That's the targeting pod. Okay, it's got a laser in it. It's got an IR marker in it. It's it's a very capable system that syncs up to this to the the Hornet, so everything kind of marries up. So this, so this is, is the, the Go Fast. No, this is Go Fast. It's not it. No, it's the other one. No, it's the one that looks one? like the. What is that That's one? called the Go Fast. That looks like a Tic Tac, and that was another one taken off the East Coast. But they grab it and Bookmark it's, that one. it's yeah. going – it's screaming across the ocean at a very high rate of speed. And there's been some debunkers that say, well, it's really not going that fast. It's just the way the airplane is and how the mechanics of the pot are working. When you talk to the crew – because it's actually uh, – I could ask uh, my bud. I'm pretty sure it's the same backseater took both of these videos, took the Go Fast video and took the gimbal video. And my buddy was on the flight with the gimbal video. But they these things – so I called my bud because I'm like, hey, how many people are seeing these things? They're like, oh, like 60 or 70. 60 or 70. 60 or 70 people had seen these things on radar. And I said, well, what do you do? And they said, well, we put out a NOTAM, which is a notice to airmen that just says, hey, these things are out there. So just be careful because we don't want you to hit one. <laughs> yeah. Whoa. And uh, it's kind of like ours. You go – because you would ask, you know, who do you tell? Well, everyone knows. Well, what do you do? And I said, well, because it was all white and it didn't have any markings on it and it didn't have any wings and it didn't have any rotors and it was just it outperformed anything that we have. I think if I would have painted China or Russia on the side. Is this the gimbal video? Yes. Okay. So it's the same pod. Starting uh, from the beginning, Jamie? What we're looking at. And when the crew finds it, now what you're not seeing, you're seeing the targeting. When you hear them start talking, when you listen to the video, you'll hear the guy go, dude, look, they're all over. Look at the SA page. So we have a situational awareness page. And when, whatever the radar is getting returns on, it'll show up. It's kind of like our God's eye view in the airplane. So the pod can only look at one thing. So he designates that as his primary target. So that's where the pod is staring. The radar is still seeing everything else. So what they're actually seeing in this video is what you're, when you see the, the object that he's tracking. Um, when I was talking to one of the other pilots, he said there's actually, when you see the radar video, there's like a – it almost looks like a formation in front of them, like five smaller ones that are moving in front of it. And then they turn. So like a formation of these things turns and starts going the other way. 
and then the and while they're filming the gimbal video, and that's kind of the comms when you hear, dude, holy cow, look, they're all over. This is uh, unreported new information that. Uh, he's actually saying right now, everybody knows this video. This is the one that they say turns like the Lazar craft, like belly first. However, what he's telling you right now is something that is not public yet. He's telling you that there was a V formation of other objects that the public has yet to see. You're on, not going to. It's, you're not going to. It's a radar tape. But not gonna... there were more objects surrounding this is what he's telling you right now, which is fascinating because the world doesn't know that yet. Um, Just so you know, I mean, that's brand new. That's never been reported by New York Times, anybody. Okay. So you can go ahead and hit play. So the cool thing with this is, you know, when he goes into – so he's in IR, IR, IR mode right now. You're still seeing no plume. He's looking 47. So they're actually turning into it. So it's, it's starting to pull it back towards the nose. See how the number at the top is decreasing. And it's against the wind. Now he's in TV mode, and this thing's going to just start to roll. And you can kind of see it's got that aura around it. Mm-hmm. He said they were saying that the – the ones with the squares inside that look like the beach ball are the same. And this thing's just hanging out. So it's on the airplane's in a left hand turn and it's So it now it's right sideways. in front. Yeah, it's it's just rotating. Now this is how Lazar described Yes. Don't put that up. All right. Yeah. Uh, Lazar described that. That these things would lay flat and then when they would travel, they would turn up on their side. Mm-hmm. And that's that's how they maneuvered. So this is very similar. Eerily similar to the propulsion system that Lazar talked about. And that's why this video, we're seeing it very differently now, especially with what we know about Lazar. But the idea is that it would fly belly first in high speed mode. So if they have, these are gravity propelled. This is something that's known within the government. They're trying to back engineer it. They're trying to understand it. We know there's a program currently that they said is is gone. However, it is currently active to study this. These things will turn belly first, the, the saucer type looking ones. And then that's the high speed mode because they, they focus uh, allegedly, you know, these gravity wave amplifiers. Look, this thing turns mechanically. There, again, no typical form of propulsion as an expert is telling you, this is not a glitch. This is seen by multiple radars, multiple people. Commander Fravor was so close to it this is something that is not aerodynamic, and it could move in ways and fashions. When he's underplaying it, when we first talked, the idea of this thing going, bup, 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 it's instantaneous acceleration back and forth. There's no slowing down, no turning, like a ping pong ball. He said to me, our first talk, ping pong ball in a, gl in a glass. Nothing moves like that with traditional reactionary propulsion. Somebody has technology that we don't have in our inventory at all. So this is counterintuitive the way it goes from being aerodynamic to being unaerodynamic when it goes sideways and it flies belly forward. That's correct. It's well, it's not. It's you know if you talk because I was just talking to the guy the other day and he said the, the the irony with this is these things would be out there for hours. We don't have you know a high performance airplane does not have hours worth of gas. I mean you know Hornets if we don't have aerial refueling. You know, and we're actually out doing a mission and fighting and, and going fast. You know, you're talking hour and a half and you're coming back to land. Uh, some airplanes are even less, you know, based on their size. You know, so like an F-16 doesn't have external fuel tanks. It doesn't have a lot of gas. Um, and the Soviet airplanes are the same way. The MiG-29 does not have a lot of gas. The Su-27, Su-30s have because a Because of, of weight? Because of It's weight, capacity, performance, uh, yeah. size of the airplane. Um, 
So, you know, even even our intercontinental bombers like B-2, they still take off and they air or fuel. They keep topped off so they can get to range. That's how we extend things. Um, you got something like this that's coming down. You know, just think of the physics. So just the, uh, I'll use my incident because that's the one I really know the best is you've got an object coming from above 80,000 feet. So I'll just tell you that 80,000, it's somewhere around 70 to 80,000 feet is where you can actually start to see the curvature of the earth. You know, so that's considered space. So they're coming from above that. They're coming straight down. They stop at around 20,000 feet. They hang out for three hours, and then they go straight back up. So, And I know you had Elon on the show. So SpaceX is really excited because they can launch a rocket, and then they can have the booster come back to Earth and actually land on a pad. Very impressive engineering feat. Next to this technology, that's like a Model T next to a Porsche. I mean, it's like, wow, really? That's it? You know, and you got something that can just at will move around. Now take it to the next level, and I know this is there's a lot of talk about this, so Dave's going to go into speculation mode. But when you take a shape like that, so just take the tic tac shape, which is shaped like a submarine. If you're if you're using a propulsion that's non reactive, where you're just manipulating the median that you're in, air, whatever, you can go into the water. So when you you hear the all the reports of hey, we've seen these things since you know World War II that would come out of the water and fly. If you have a technology like this, as long as the object is sealed where you're not going to get water inside of it, there's nothing that says you can't do that because all you're doing is you're not, you know, where a jet engine sucks in air and blows it out the back or a propeller actually pushes the water. It's a force. Now you've got something that's actually manipulating the gravity field and it's just moving through a void. Then it doesn't – then air – you could literally in theory – Fly, go into the ocean, cruise around, pop back up, fly around, go to space. You're nothing you, – you remove the barriers of the normal propulsion that we have today. There's been many instances of sightings off the coast of California of things that plunge into the water or, or escape from the water and take off into space. So Yeah, there, it, with the field propulsion system, as Commander Fravor is describing, as Lazar described – it doesn't matter the medium of space, air, or water. There's no resistance, no splash. I and mean, this goes back to, you know, when Christopher Columbus reported a UFO sighting. He this, did? Oh, yeah. Th- this idea that, so this has been around, anyway, this idea, boom, that you can go through these different mediums. Hold, it, pause for a second. Christopher Columbus had a UFO sighting? Yeah, it's, it's a written account, so it's like. Find that. No video. It's not video. I'm shocked. But, <laughs> it's bullshit. Then. Well, see, but that's what's so cool. So, D- Commander Fravor's encounter, it's not the most documented. It's not the most dramatic. However, it has had the most impact out of any sighting because of his credibility and the mere fact that the, the New York Times picked it up with video footage, radar evidence, and somebody who is as credible as Commander Fravor, it has changed the dynamic of the way people, the government responds, new Navy protocols, because of Commander Fravor coming forward. Um, the, there, there are s- closed-door congressional and Senate briefings. He's been part of them. He's admitted that before. There's a new study about UFOs because of this encounter. It's so much evidence has so much power to it compared to other ones. So Christopher Columbus, great, co- cool story. Somebody wrote it down. Who knows, who knows if he even wrote it down? We have highly documented cases. This one has changed our culture. And that's what's so cool. People are talking about it differently. So here's, here, this is a good story. This, this is true. So I was sitting at home and usually when people try and find me, they get my wife's cell phone because it's the first one on the cell phone bill and it's all in my name. So I get, to, I see this call from California and I'm like, and normally I don't answer them. And it's her phone. I'm like, who's calling my wife? 
because that is me. So I answer it, and this lady says, hey, it's Commander Fravor there. And I go, who's calling? And she goes, well, I, I'd like to talk to Commander Fravor. I go, who's calling? And she says, hi, I'm a 79-year-old woman, and I would just like to tell him my story. I go, well, you're talking to him. And she goes, I've never in my life told anyone this. She goes, my, I grew up, my dad was in the Navy. She goes, I was, he was stationed in Rhode Island at first when she was a child. She says, we were walking, her and her mom were walking on the beach, and they saw these weird lights. So that kind of got her into that, ooh, UFOs. She goes, a few years later, they had moved to San Francisco. So I imagine Treasure Island, because at her age, it would have been, you know, probably in the 50s. Her dad was, she said, her dad was working as a Navy liaison to the agency. And uh, he came home one day, and he had a telegram in his hand. And she goes, for some reason, he let me read it. She's telling me this story. And I said, well, what did it say? She says it was, it basically said, hey, unidentified objects going in and out of the water, and it had a latitude and longitude in it. And he looked at her, she goes, and I'm a child, and I always remember this. She says, he looked at me and said, we get these all the time, and it's always in the same area. And I go, of course, I go, well, you got the telegram? She goes, of course not. He had to take it back to work. I said, you don't have to remember that latitude, longitude. She said, no. She goes, but you seem to be so credible and believable. She goes, I wanted to tell someone the story that I've never told anyone in my life. So that's what you're starting to see is people that, you know, very credible. They're not, you know, they're not, they're not crazy. They're not making stuff up, but they're coming out and going, hey, I've, I've had these experiences. And I've got a lot of that from over the last two years where people just find my email and send me stuff saying, hey, this happened to me or I saw this. Um, and, and there's some things that are explainable because I got asked to tell this. So because we're kind of – I have a sick sense of humor at times. So – like I said, I had all these quals. So we used to fly. They don't do it right now because it's a little bit dangerous. But we used to fly night vision goggles low altitude in Hornets. All right. So when you put on night vision goggles, they amplify light like a lot. So you can see a campfire like 50 miles away. So we used to do it. The good spots were down in like El Central California. There's a range that uh, – there's some bombing ranges. But people go camping in the Superstition Mountains, which is uh, kind of north and west of Imperial by uh, – uh, I forget what it is, the springs. It's real pretty in the desert. It'll come to me in a minute. So we would go out at night flying around on goggles, and you'd see a campfire. And you go, oh, UFO time. And then you get the airplane going about 600 knots, and then you pull the power back to idle so you can't hear it. And you get zinging towards the, the fire. Well, you turn the lights are all down because we're in restricted areas, so we can do that. And there's lights on it that you can only see if you're on night vision goggles. So the other airplanes can see us, but no one else can see us. Then you go zinging at it, and then right when you get to the campfire, you pull the airplane into the vertical, you stroke the afterburners, you let them light off, you count to three, you pull them off, and then you just go away. Instant UFO reporting. <laughs> I'm sitting out in the desert, it's all quiet, and then all of a sudden there's a lure, there's lights in the sky, and they go away and it's gone. The campfire so is would, out. You would do that just to fuck with campers? Yes. How rude. <laughs> yes. Yes, I did. I'm not the only one that did it, but like I said, we have a sick sense of humor. Yes, um, so, I'm sure. So some things are explainable because I guarantee there were phone calls made on some of the stuff that we did. And I guarantee you're not the only one who's ever done that. Oh, I know I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm not that creative, but it's just, you know, you think about it and you go, because people go, I, I saw this or I saw that because I've got stuff like that. And I go, yeah, I used to create stuff like that, just not tell. Do me. you, are you, Jeremy, I'm sure you're aware of this, the footage from the the Mexican Air Force? Yeah, 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 very aware of that. What do you think about that? 
Well, again, it's it's IR footage, which is really interesting. They actually got the cameras for drug runners, right? So you you can see in the infrared, so it's beyond the observable, you know, eye. Uh, I myself have not uh, detailed looked at the footage. However, FLIR experts and people that work with NSA have looked at it for me, and they, these are not lights in the distance. These are craft, very similar to what Commander Fravor talks about, without plumes, without heat signatures, you know, non-traditional field propulsion systems. We don't have that. And I that thought they tried to uh, – is this it right here? Is this the Mexican Air Force footage? Yeah. Yes. So – if they you, tried to say these were lights on, on like an oil rig out in the water that's been debunked. Yeah, they tried to say it was a fire in well, an oil rig, right? No. The, the 2004 to the Comcast video of the year was the Mexican Air Force tracking like six. So literally right yeah. after our incident, I come, you know, we come back and I think we were getting ready to go to Fallon. And I'm, I'm, I had Comcast and the, the home page comes up and there's this video and I go, holy cow, that looks like what we chased. Mm. And it was like six of these things and they were tracking them in the same area too, right off the coast of Ensenada. And it, it's not – as rare, there's now admitted an increased frequency. The, a Pentagon spokeswoman finally went off script. I was tracking the scripts for the last two years of what Pentagon spokespeople say about Commander Fravor's experience. Someone went off script last week in the New York Times, and she admitted there's an increased frequency of near misses because of these AAVs, anomalous aerospace vehicles. So it, it's pretty astounding. We're getting all these kind of revelatory moments in these little seeds that these are not ours. We don't have this. Even Elon doesn't have this. I mean, this is a propulsion system unlike anything we have. It's amazing. It's gravity propelled. Now, that gimbal footage, yeah. when it said that there's a fleet of them, mm -hmm. how far away are those guys where you're seeing, you don't see the individual objects, you only see a singular spot? Um, well, the pod is, you know, when you get pretty narrow, it'd be like, you know, if I put three people around you, I can look at you and not see the other people. So that's right. what the pod is doing. But the radar is seeing everything because it's a... Uh, it has an AESA radar in it, which is an active electronically scanned array. So instead of like the radars we had, which did the mechanical, you know, doing this, like old school, this thing is just a panel that sits in the front of the airplane. And through beam sharing or beam shaping, it can move and it can look all over. So we used to have what was called track wall scan. So we would be able to track a target while we're still scanning. This thing has scan wall, it, it scans while tracks. So it, it literally, if it sees you, if the radar sees you, it has basically a weapons quality solution. And it can do that on multiple targets. Is that's how it, it's the same way the the spy radar, the Aegis system works on the cruisers. It can track multiple targets and have weapons quality on all these different targets while it's still scanning a volume. So in that image, you're seeing one individual object, but there's other objects. Yes, the radar is seeing the object that the pod is looking at where they're talking. And when you hear the video, you hear the the pilot say, "Dude, look at the SA page. There's there's a whole fleet of them." So what they're seeing is the, the, the pod is looking at the main. That's the bigger object at the gimbal, the thing that's rotating on the screen. And there's five smaller things in front. So this thing's just sitting there. And then they kind of – he said they turn around on the, on the radar and start going the other way while the pod's looking at this guy just kind of rotating. So like a mothership and smaller aircraft. Could be. Something along those lines. Is there video of those smaller aircrafts or just the video no. of the one large no. one? No, the only thing they have is the, the, the targeting pod uh, – I would highly doubt, even if they had the video, that they're going to release the radar video because of classification levels. Are you able to tell um, the story you told me about what was underwater with your, your other buddy? Because <laughs> Is that okay? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's amazing. It, you know, people come out of the woodwork when they figure out you've had mm. this because now they're, they don't feel alone. So I was working. I, I worked. I, I still do it, but I was doing oil and gas at the time uh, on, a, on a contract, and one of the guys, the story came out. And he was a Navy helicopter pilot. 
And he comes in, he, he comes in, he goes, dude, hey, can I talk to you, man? I go, what about, he goes, dude, I got, I got to talk to you. And I said, what do you want to talk to me about? He says, dude, do you know your UFO? He said, yeah, he goes, I had a similar experience. I said, what's that? He said, he was flying CH-53s, which is a big lift, heavy lift that the Marine Corps uses, and the Navy uses it for certain things. And when they go off of, for the East Coast, they do a lot of shooting off of, at the time, it was off of Puerto Rico. We had Roosevelt Roads that they ended up closing. Um, but he was flying out of there. And, you know, you got super clear Caribbean water. And they have these things that are called BQMs. They fly around. And then when they're all done, because they'll fly towards the ships and the ship can, oh, sorry about that, they can track with the radar. And then they also do, in the, like the ships or submarines shoot torpedoes, they're, they're called telemetry rounds. So they, have, they gather all the data on what the torpedo is doing underwater. And then they blow ballast and this thing will come to the surface and float. And then they go pick them up and then they can extract all the data out of them. So they do it for both. So he said the first time they're out and they're going to pick up this BQM. And those things, when they're flying, they're done. A parachute comes out and they got to go. They hook it up. The helo drops the swimmer in the water. He goes and hooks this whole thing up. And then they hoist the whole thing up and fly back. And then they extract the data. So he says he's sitting in the front. You know, in helicopters, there's, you know, CH-53, you can actually see down by your feet. You know, just like typical, like you go to Hawaii and ride because you can see when you're touching down. So you got really good visibility out of those things. And you can stick your head out the window, too, because you're just kind of hanging out. He says he's going on there, and they're getting this thing hooked up. And as he's looking down, you know, because they're, I don't know what, 50 feet above the water, he sees kind of this dark mass coming up from the depths. And they start to hoist the, the diver up, and he's got, they've got the BQM. And as they hoist it up, he says, and he's looking at this thing going, what the hell is that? And then it just goes back down underwater. It just like, once they pull the kid and the, the BQM out of the water, this object descends back into the depths. So he thinks, well, that was pretty weird. So he goes out. He says, not too long later, you know, a few months later, he's out and he's picking up a torpedo. So he says they got the – they hooked the diver up on the winch and they're lowering him in. And as he's looking down, he sees this big, massive – he goes, it's not a submarine. He's seen submarines before. Once you see a submarine, you, you can't confuse it with something else. This big object, you know, kind of circular, he says, is coming up from the depths. And he starts screaming to, through the intercom system to tell him to pull the diver up. And the diver's like a few feet from the water. So they reverse the winch, and the diver's thinking, what the hell's going on? And he's getting pulled up, and all of a sudden, uh, he said the torpedo just got sucked down underwater, and the object just descended back down into the depths, and they never recovered the, the torpedo. Jesus. And this happened in the late 90s, late mid to late 90s, I think it is. I could probably get in touch with him and ask him. And he told me this story, and I'm like, how do you report that? <laughs> you come in and go, well, where'd the torpedo go? It just got sucked down it just went down you know and then you get the people that attribute it as ah something happened when it blew ballast and it just took on water and sank and he's like it didn't sink he goes it literally looked like it got sucked down the only reason they didn't they talked to him when they did the new york times stuff they talked to him but it, because the incident was from the 90s they didn't want to they wanted something you know newer mm. um, so they did not include it but i know they talked to him about it now what was the other footage that we were looking at there was the first footage that jamie pulled up that wasn't the gimbal footage mm -hmm. that was oh the go fast. go fast the go fast what is that that's a it actually looks more like a tic tac but it's they saw it uh going across the water and they're they're, they're just grabbing a lock so they're, they're seeing this with their eyes and he gets the flare to lock on it and that's when you hear the kid go oh i got it because he gets the auto track and it's just something screaming across the surface of the water so and yeah. this is in the same area this is east coast yeah this is the same time frame as the gimbal video so the idea that these are birds or the idea that this is a radar glitch or somebody said pilot error, like on a clear blue day, Commander Fravor has nerves. I mean, that kind of thing that people have said on your show to you that, you know, this, th these are explanations that make sense. Who said that? Um, 
I don't even want to say oh, their names. Mick West? Yeah, sure. Mick, you know. Mick believes everything. Like every single thing that's ever happened has a rational explanation yeah, it's, for it. <laughs> so, so the, you know, the probability that, you know, all the radars went off at the wrong time. Commander Fravor, you know, had nerves that all the other pilots up there with him that, you know, this thing shot off like a, like a can, like a gun instantly, like that that was somehow perfectly coordinated. That's a conspiracy. That that's a fabrication. Probably Occam's razors, the events happened exactly like we're being told. Yeah, for us, it was... You know, and I'll go back to the beginning of the story of, you know, the other pilot who was brand new. She had been in the squadron for four months, five months. So she's pretty junior. She was still working on her initial call on the airplane. And, uh, you know, so she gets the, you know, we get the real world vector and it's like, okay, real world vector. Cool. I'm going to get to do something real, exciting. Then you see the the water and you think, oh, something's sinking because it's kind of that shape of an airplane, you know, that cross type. So now it's. Oh, crap, now it's search and rescue. We got to go down and see, you know, because there's people, you know, and we are sympathetic. And to the Tic Tac, and as soon as the Tic Tac, it's like, you know, holy shit, what is that? You know, and when you get, uh, you know, some people get very emotional when you talk about it. um, Because for me, it was like, eh, you know, for her, when you talk to her, she has a disdain for some of the leadership that didn't tell us that these things were out there. You know, they're here now we're getting vectored because we were the first time the manned airplanes had been airborne when one of these things showed up. That no one even gave us a brief that, hey, we're seeing these objects out here for the last two weeks. They're just kind of – you might want to know they're out there. And they never told us. No one knew these things existed besides the radar operators. And the radar operators didn't know what they were. They just knew they were seeing blips. You know, so and there's a lot of stuff that, you know, that it flew around and it came around me and it didn't do any of that stuff. It's <laughs> – the story mm. that I gave you is just relatively benign, um, but it was, you know, it's it's an interesting experience. You know. So these incidents that they reported were taking place before you saw your that Tic Tac encounter. Yeah. They, they were taking place over a period of how many weeks? Two weeks. Two we, weeks. we went out at the beginning of the month for the, this two-week at sea period. Um, we pulled in for Thanksgiving, but other than that, we were out till I think, December 21st is when we pulled the ship back in. Uh, besides pulling in for the three days of Thanksgiving. So, yeah, for the two weeks prior, so this was on the 14th, and we went out at the beginning of the month. So about two weeks, they had been watching these things come down, go up, come down, go up. But it was always when we were not flying, which is really probably like the midnight time frame until early in the morning the next, you know, till noon the next day. And then we just happened to go. And if you think about it, you know, <laughs> I laugh, but, you know, if – if there was some little green man flying around in that Tic Tac, he probably got back to the mothership and got yelled at for being seen. <laughs> but, you know, like, oh, my God, you let him see you. Um, so so have you communicated with anybody that has any thoughts on what, what these things are doing or th- th- whether or not there's any consistency to the size of them or whether or not they, they think they're coming out of a larger object or anything along these lines? No. Um, you know, you can ask, well, because I was asked, you know, what do you think they were doing? You know, and I said, well, you can look. Well, they were observing, you know, because they're coming down and watching. Number two is they were communicating because I think, you know, in my heart, I think there was something under the water. I don't, you know, what yeah. it was doing there. But this, when we this went is back, because it was of when you saw the X, the cross looking yep. thing. Explain that again. So the, the disturbance so seemed think- to be in the shape of a cross. Yeah, like a, I describe it as it's about the size of a 737. So just think if you submerge the 737, pointing it to the east underwater by mm-hmm. like, 
you know, 10, 15 feet. So as these waves are coming across, when they, you know, they hit that object, they're going to break on top, mm -hmm. just like you would with a submerged, like a seamount. So, and it's, it's, they're breaking it, And that's where the Tic Tac was at. That's the only reason we saw the Tic Tac. That's what mm -hmm. drew our eyes down there is we see this white water when it's a perfectly clear day with no white caps. And you go, whoa, what's that? And then you see the Tic Tac. And then we, you know, we do all the chasing of the Tic Tac and we turn, we're right there. And we turn around and there's no white water. It's just blue as far as you can see. So at that point you go, okay, what was it doing? Because there was obviously something there that's not there now. Mm. So that's where I say, well, it's, it was observing us. It was, could have been communicating with whatever was there. You know, and then someone else looked at me and said, you know, I was talking to Lou and he goes, what about prepping the battlefield? I go, okay. You know, so if you go, you know, where are these things from? We don't know. You know, are they from China, Russia, someplace else? I don't know. Um, but it's a, it's a capability that we do not possess to my knowledge. And if you ask me in 2004, because there's a lot of guys go, well, it's, maybe it's some secret government program. I go, all right, well, let's, let's, let's be honest. One, if you have a propulsion system that made it, it gave the capabilities that we, we observed visually, that's a huge leap for mankind, period. So you would say, yeah, it was, you know, think about it. It's, it's going to be 15 years uh, next month yeah. that we saw this. I would like to think that, okay, maybe let's just say in 2004 it was something. Somebody had this. Some government had this. I don't Ours, whatever. If you come to now, you go 15 years later, you don't think that technology would have emerged because it, would, it literally would change everything we do. I mean, we're happy about, you know, hybrid and electric cars and all this other stuff. But if you've got something that works like that, air travel, it would change air travel forever. No visible system of propulsion. No, no, it's, no plumes. No, it's just a – we joke. It's a, it's a think of a 40-foot-long tic-tac that can move at will through the air at speeds well beyond what we've ever witnessed. I mean, even when you watch a rocket go off, you know, one of Elon's or one of the NASA, whatever, you, you know, you sit there and well, – I grew up during the Apollo ages where you just – Look at the thing go up, 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 up. I've seen them shot out of Vandenberg where you go, you know, I'd sit in my house in Central California and you'd watch it go up and go, oh, I can watch that thing for a while. This is something that just like poof, in a matter of seconds is gone. Now, are other pilots or other people that have sighted these things, have they also reported something larger that's in the water near it? No. No. Not the ones I've talked to. I mean, I think, you know, you can... You can get on History Channel. There's all kinds of stuff on there about people talking about stuff. But, mm -hmm. you know, what? here's the question is what do you believe, what do you not believe? And, you know, my, my biggest frustration is, the, the, you know, our incident and even the folks on the East Coast, it, it is what it is to us. There's no reason to embellish. There's no reason to make stuff up. But yet there's still groups of people that are making stuff up like someone came out on ours, was talking about, and he's like, oh, I, I saw the whole, the whole video is 10 minutes long and it was doing all this. It's bullshit. What you see is that's literally the entire video. It's a minute and a half long. Or I think it's about a minute and a half long. What people haven't seen that I saw, I mean, I've seen the radar tapes because I had them as my squadron. Um, you know, I've heard, you know, the men in black, you know, I just, I'm for, you know, maybe the, okay, I'll give you the credit if they did, but why wouldn't they show up and talk to the guys who actually witnessed it, chased it? And is one of the senior guys in the battle group. Right. And it's also possible that that men in black stuff was something that they used to do back in the day and that that program was no longer continued. Mm -hmm. And, 
you know, from Jeremy, you would know this, the older sightings, when they go back into the day, into historical sightings, and not not Columbus, but, you know, like yeah, in yeah. the 50s and 60s, did they have similar things that they talked about where something moved in this manner? Yeah, it, it's absolutely incredible. And I want to dumb this down because that's how I had to understand it. When I was talking with Commander Favor years before, I kept his secret, <laughs> years before the New York Times blew it up, I told him it was probably going to happen. It wasn't by me. We were talking about it. This system that we have seen for over 70 years, just documented by our military, this is so important. This is a non-reactionary field propulsion system. Everything we know is a reactionary propulsion system. You push something out the back, it goes forward. This is not like a mag system. This is a gravitational field propulsion system. And throughout history, our military has documented them. And there has been ridicule. And I'll tell you exactly why. 1952, there was a huge flyover of Washington, D.C. Jets were scrambled. Uh, the, all the papers covered it. It's a very famous you know, case everybody can look up. It's an important case because at that time, a policy was started. And that policy started because it crashed our communications. The teletypes went down. The panic of the UFOs that were being seen by people with fighter pilots trying to capture and trying to engage them. And, and it crashed the teletypes. So our government was like, oh, that's not happening again. Because, you know, Russia could use that as a scare tactic. So this policy of denial, don't look here, nothing to see, move on, UFOs are, are fake. That's what Project Blue Book was tasked to do specifically. The guy who ran it admitted that, that it was tasked to debunk this and demystify the UFO thing. That's J. Allen Hynek, correct? Right. I also, yeah, J. Allen Hynek. Um, he was once asked by a friend of mine, do you have the smoking gun? Uh, I'll give you this document. It's pretty amazing. It's an Air Force manual where they explain what they know about UFOs at that time in 1967. But here's the point. Yes, this has been going on since the beginning of recorded human history. These propulsion systems that are captured on footage, you know, that is confirmed now by, by, the, by the Pentagon, like Commander Fravor's experience. This technology is not ours. It's, it, it was here 70 years ago. You're talking about 15 years ago. We, didn't, we, don't, we would see it now. These exact things at 20,000 miles an hour going on 70 years ago documented. Somebody has a non-reactionary fuel propulsion system. Now, are they aliens or some subsect of humans? I, you know, somebody has them. And they're flying through our airspace with impunity and pilots like Commander Fravor, who, by the way, defended Los Angeles over after 9-11. I mean, this is a guy we put all of our trust in. He was defending Los Angeles right after 9-11. So we got people like him coming forward saying, I saw this. And you get internet warriors being like, it's a bird, it's a glitch, it's Superman. Let's not concentrate on them. What, okay. what, what about the Columbus thing? Did you find that? Yeah, it's just a yeah, written... it's listed as like light, 1492 light signature event that... They saw light in the distance. The, could have been bioluminescent. Is the actual uh, text? No, available? there's not. Like, just like Wikipedia stuff. Long, it's long just explanations one of the things. oldest accounts I was trying to throw out that this is something that. Do you know of? Um, there's a a very famous painting that shows what appears to be men in crafts flying through the sky in the background of uh, of a an ancient painting. Do you know what I'm talking about? I do. I actually have a page. Uh, one of the first pages I ever put on my website is like a bunch of these because throughout history, there are these indications of ships, of craft. But like, you know what I'm, the one I'm talking yes. about? It's like, and yes. it's that, that's the shape of it. It's also like a plate turned on its side 
and then there's a person inside yes. of it. Yeah, yeah, man. It's and it's flying through in that same. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, like look, yeah, look it's how incredible. it's it's flying. But you know the thing is, is that everybody can say art. Oh, the one above that's pretty cool because that was a hidden thing. I've studied that one where it says uh, discovery 15th century. Above the the her left shoulder. There is an object, and if you really zoom in, look at the dude staring up at it. As a painter, my wife is a painter. Everything is intentional. Which guy, where's the guy? The guy on the yeah, on right the over front. there. It's right. pretty cool. Looking up. So, so I think that's 15th century. It said. So the the problem with this Joe is it, go to the original one, the one that we just looked at, Jamie, the one right before that. Yeah. See, so get a big picture. Of that. Yeah. That is so strange. Like yeah, here, man. you got Christ being crucified, and then above him, UFOs. Like. Yeah. And is that supposed to be aliens or is that supposed to be angels? Like, so, what is that supposed to be in these things that they have? It's it's real similar to what we're talking about here. That's the argument of Miracle of Fatima, let's say. I mean, again, this is so speculative. We have a, a witness mm -hmm. here, of, you know, pilot. But when you see something like the Miracle of Fatima, if you look at what that. What is the Miracle of Fatima? God, that's that one that was, uh, you know, considered a real miracle by the church and the three kids were getting messages. I'll get this all wrong, but for like months that they're going to be visited and to bring people in bigger and bigger groups gathered to where there was over 100,000 people. What to, year is this? 1917. 1917. 1917. So, you know, h dozens of thousands, if not hundreds, but dozens for sure, see an event a mass sighting of something that happened. We're talking people that were religious, people that weren't religious, you know, doctors at the that's time. That's not a real image, is it, no, Jamie? That one was doctored a little bit, so you could see, like, they're all looking at something. But that's not real. Yeah, but that's, that the, cr really but that's the crowd, right? The crowd is real. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. So, sure so the here's the thing. Real. People come out, something happened that was so intense. Some people thought it was religious, that it was a, a visitation, but other people saw it as technological, like something descended you know, look into it. I'm just saying art pictures, like paintings we're talking about, man, you can interpret them all day. I can't hold on to that. I can hold on to an eyewitness with other eyewitnesses, with radar systems and with video. We're in a different era now. We don't have to paint it, man. We get to see it. It's fascinating, man. It is fascinating, but it's way more fascinating when someone like you talks about it versus some fucking random kook. You know, that's, that's what makes me incredibly interested is the, just your credibility and the fact that this is not, you don't have a history of seeing wacky shit that other people don't see. No, just this once. And, but it's on video and that there's other ones as well. It's, it's really strange. And I've seen people try to explain it away. And what I don't like about when they explain it away or attempt to explain it away is that they're trying really hard. They're not going, who knows what this fucking thing is. They're not looking at it like cleanly. They're looking at it like a quote unquote skeptic. I don't like the idea of being a skeptic. Not that I don't think you should be skeptical of certain things. I certainly think you should be. But there's a lot of people that brand themselves as skeptics. And I think it's a lazy way to look at things. I really do. Because I think you're just looking for the holes in things without looking at it objectively. If you wanted to be a scientist, if you wanted to be someone who is a, a fan of science, then you have to look at it as a thing. Like, look at this information and let's study this without any bias, any preconceived notions. I don't think they're doing that. They're looking at it and they're trying to find a way where they can justify that it's fake. And they're, they're just doing all sorts of mental gymnastics to try to make it fake. That video that you show where that thing slips off to the left and takes off at incredible rates of speed, that alone should freak people the fuck out.
Yeah, well, I think because people confuse all the time. Like we took the video. No, it was another crew that took the video. We we watched it for five minutes with our eyeballs, and there was four of us, and we all have the same story. We all saw the same stuff. We all came back and looked at each other and scratched our head and said, WTF, you know, I mean, serious? What was that? Um, you know, and then what do you do? You <laughs> you move on. We never saw it again. Um, yeah, I imagine they probably saw him on radar after that, but I think. They're probably seeing them on radar all the time. They just don't bring it to the attention of the general public. Oh, yeah, because if you don't, you know, for, for a ship when they see something and, you know, you go, what is that? Well, right. you don't have any way to go out there and look at it. Like when you're talking about how they were informing you that they were seeing these things previous to your uh, your mission, when you're doing this exercise and they let you know that they're seeing these things, did you say, hey, how frequent is this? Is this something that happens all the time? Um, I didn't get into that. Ours was more of the moment of, you know, when he's telling us, hey, for the last two weeks we've been tracking these things. Right. And we don't know what they are. But you don't know whether or not it was just those two weeks or maybe it was a year ago. There was other similar situations or... There's other situations that have happened out there, but I would say, you know, for this, I I don't even know... One, you got to take it serious. Yeah. We have a tendency, if we don't know what it is, if we just ignore it, it'll go away. You know, and I joke, you know, there was an incident years... It's probably not too far off the same time frame, but I think it was like the Constellation was doing her workups before she got de- decommissioned. And an Oscar class, a Soviet Oscar class submarine surfaced behind her, mm. right? And then it's now it's like you know go to battle stations, World War Three. How did this? How did this foreign submarine get in our area and has been monitoring our workups? That's a big deal, right? I said, but now we go out and we have these things that are coming at will, and there's nothing we can do about it. We don't know what they are. We have confirmed sighting by two aircrew, four of us, two planes. That said, look, this is not, this is not an airplane. This is not a weather balloon. This is not a blip. It has performance well beyond, you know. And the airplanes that we were flying at the time were literally brand new Super Hornets right out of the Boeing factory. I mean, these 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 were brand new uh, first Block Two series that came out. And you go, why wasn't something done? You know, it's like ah, we don't know what it is. I think it's good now. You know, the moves that have happened over the last you know two years since the original article came out that. You know, they're, they're now there's a new reporting for the pilots. The Navy's acknowledged, hey, these things, we don't know what they were. You know, they're, they're starting to take it serious because, you know, I know there are other events that are not out, um, recent events where people have been called in to go, hey, I've seen this thing. So the investigation process is still going on. You know, we don't, we don't stop. And the military doesn't stop. Even if you take funding away, we don't stop. You know, we don't stop until we're told to stop. So... You know, what's what's going on? I You know, you go, well, ATIP ended. You know, they spent $4.5 million a year on it. I think it was four and a half, $22 million over the five years. So you go, what are they doing since then? Well, I mean, I'm pretty sure there's still people looking at this, and there's still people that are taking this serious. I will tell you that uh, – I won't get into specifics, but there are, there are people inside the United States government that are taking this serious. And I've been I've been down to D.C. twice to talk to folks, you know, behind closed doors to go – because they want to hear the story, and I've got a lot of you got to be joking. Yeah, I mean, this this seriously happened, and 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 I'm like, yeah, it did happen, and it is real. You know, what are you doing about it? So, what kind of people are you talking to? High level government officials is what I'll say, and most of that is because that conversation is between me and them, and I don't want people speculating. But you can say um, high level government officials I have talked to. 
Yeah. Well, that was uh, always the the speculation about like uh, what would someone do if they became president. Well, the first thing I would do is I would tell everybody about the UFOs. I would ask immediately what's going on. And I always thought about it. I said, how many people actually know what's going on and how much of the information? I mean, it's not like if they're dealing with something like this, like your, your experience, it seems like what you described is what is known. So it's this anomalous event where this thing defies our current understanding of technology, and then it's gone. Yes. And so what do you have? You don't have anything else other than that. Like, what other information does anybody have? Well, I would say, I would say this, because I've, I've talked to Bob. We, were, mm-hmm. we did a, Bob Lazar? Yeah, we did an event together. And I'll leave it to everyone to – it's up to you to believe Bob. Uh, I'll say this. Bob's a normal guy. Bob's not crazy. He's not crazy at all. Not at all. That was the weirdest thing about talking to him. But when you when you look at it and go, because I had asked Bob, I said what, what he describes in the technology when he talks about his his story. I said, well, do you, do you honestly think we could, you know, reverse engineer it? I said, how long do you think it would take us? And his response to me was another hundred years. He goes, Dave, it was so far beyond. He goes, the stuff that he says he worked on. He's like. You know, there were, you, you, he was on your podcast because I watched it. You know, hey, there was no wires. Because I had asked him when he said you first described the ship that he got to see. He said, I used to say, you know, they built it and then it was like wax and you'd heat it up. He goes, now I would say it was built with 3D printing because now with 3D printing we can mm. build things literally from the ground up. And it be, it's basically built as one, not panels, no rivets. It's just made. Right. And um, so when you talk about that and you go, well, it's still another 100 years. So you go, well – what if you had the technology? We still, if, if, if what Bob says is correct, we still don't understand it. And how fast would it take us to understand that? I mean, if it's, if it's driven by something that we don't even have on Earth, which is when he talks about that element, um, it, we can't create it. You know, we can create it for a, a microsecond and then, it, you know, it, it decays. And we element go, okay, 115. Yeah. So, you know, I think we're, we're still a long ways off. You know, I'll argue with... The people that go, you know, are we really alone? I was telling Jeremy, we used to go out on, on goggles. You know, out in the middle of the Pacific, there's no light pollution. Goggles? Night vision goggles. So okay. we can see. Well, you go out at night, and you'd, I'd be on like a tanker hop or something, just hanging out, not doing anything, driving around in circles with the autopod on. You just turn all the lights down in the cockpit so you have no night light pollution, and you just look, roll your head back and look up. There's billions and billions and billions of stars out there. And, you know, I always look up because I'm like, you know, are we alone? And I go... I look up and go, well, if we're the only ones around and that's and I'm look everything I'm looking at it's a it's a pretty sad place. It's a pretty lonely universe. I asked my astrophysics prof that once. I said, "You believe in extraterrestrial life?" And she's like, "Of course not." And I said, "Well, there's billions and billions of planets. You think we're it?" I mean, just the the probability of it is you'd go, "Oh, there's probably something else out there." And I'm not crazy. I'm just opening up the possibility that we are not the only planet that has life on it. I think people don't like to seem silly. They don't like to be foolish. And I think when people start talking about anything that's not proven or anything that's connected to a bunch of loony people that are making up stories, which UFOs certainly are. Yes. UFOs are connected to so many people that have made up so many stories. What was that gentleman's name from – you would know that guy. He was from another country, Billy something or another. Oh, the, Billy Meyer. Billy, Billy Meyer. Myers, yeah. Seems 100% full of shit. Yeah, yeah. He's proven to have done tons of hoaxes with this, but here's the deal. Sometimes I think people have a real experience, and they're always, like, chasing that dragon. 
and they get UFO disease and the brain goes fucking berserk, right? I know that there are people that have had profound experiences and then they can't ever replicate them. So then they just start going crazy. And I, I don't blame them for it. But you got someone like Commander Fravor, when he saw that AAV, anomalous aerospace vehicle, his reaction was, I want to fly it. That's a pretty cool reaction. I'd like to fly it. Yeah, imagine flying that thing. Well, that's what I told my buddy. He was my exo at the time, Dell. I got back after all this happened. He looks at me and we're just standing ready. And he goes, hey, dude. I go, what? He goes, what, what do you think it is? I go, oh, I, I have no idea, but it was pretty freaking impressive and I'd like to fly it. <laughs> of course. And he goes, yeah. I go, I mean, it was. It was, you know, it's just like any pot. You always want to fly the coolest of thing. Of course. Yeah, um, of course. You're a race car driver. You want to drive the fastest car. That's it. And yeah. you, now you look at it and go, well, that's something we don't have. Yeah. It, this idea that, you know, maybe we're not alone, that some of these other stars have planets that are maybe technologically advanced. So the next thing people say, and, you know, new eras are going to say, well, they're not coming here because the distance is so vast. Hold the fuck up. From the very beginning, when Bob Lazar came forward and talked about field propulsion, gravity propulsion, distance becomes completely irrelevant. So if we believe, the, and the radars are right, and Commander Fravor saw this thing moving like a ping pong ball in a glass of water, it's gravity propelled. That's why you can make those maneuvers without exploding, okay? Then distance becomes completely irrelevant for travel. You're literally warping time and space. You're falling into place. You're well, it's like the idea of showing someone a video on your phone long before video was ever invented. People would be like, what are you talking about? Like before photography was invented, which is shockingly recent, right? You ought to draw pictures of things you saw, just like those people that drew or painted that those images of those men and, and whatever those things were with Christ in the background. The idea that we could understand what some insanely impressive technology from a planet that is nowhere near us could could manifest. It's, it's nuts. Yeah. It's, Bob, Bob Lazar talks a lot about this. Remember, he's a young guy, right, in 1989. He gets shown something. And all of a sudden, he's trying to interpret it through 1989 technology. So he said it looks like it was injection molded because that's mm -hmm. what he had. And then right. I, I sent him this thing about nanotechnology and, you know, working towards an atomic printer. He's like, dude, that makes a lot more sense. So he has to view it through where he saw it in 1989. However, I will say this. It is my knowledge that we understand exactly how these craft work. Our one limiting factor is our material science. We can't replicate, not... The fuel source itself is another... When you say we know exactly how they work... Yeah, do it mean? doesn't break our laws of physics. This concept of amplification of gravity, this concept of gravity propulsion, we understand how things can move from point A to point B almost instantaneously. Our physics doesn't disallow it, but our material science and the fuel to create that machine that we we have machines from other places. So th we what have... Do you mean? Well, Bob Lazar, whether you believe him or not, um, th there was a program. I have other witnesses that I will be bringing forward about S4, where he worked. We have crap. You have other witnesses that worked with alongside No, no, people Bob? that corroborate Bob's account in that they saw him get on and off the red and whites, the Janet flights that come on, mm -hmm. somebody that went to Papoose Lake and was stopped by, by uh, non-military guards at that time, people that were aware of Site 4 and ET exploitation projects. Uh, one is an SR-71 pilot that I've been talking with for a couple years. So these people are coming forward now. Which, and it's like, I'm sick and tired of doing it. These little nitpicky things about Bob. Okay, th there was a program. There, there was a back engineering program. 
they've admitted there are materials. So this is like the meta materials you heard about in the New York Times, all that. We have materials associated with UFOs that are interesting. What is that? What are you talking about? So uh, this was something that was launched in the first New York Times article, I believe, in December of 2017, that there is studies being done right now on materials associated with UFOs, right? So actual metals that have come off of, you could say, crashes or now, just- Who was that that explained that there was something, they, they were with Eric Weinstein, that was explaining that there was someone who reportedly has something along those lines? Jacques Vallée has 17 samples. 17 samples. How yeah. does one guy get 17 samples? Well, he's Jacques fucking Ballet, right? So he's the guy first ever for the United States military created a computer program to, for, you know, for the study of UFOs for Project Blue Book. So he's an old school guy. They modeled him after in the Close Encounters movie. It's modeled mm -hmm. after Jacques Vallée, the French guy. So he's kind of like been involved with this. He's had more access to government databases than any of us. He went around, collected samples from known, you know, crashes or like when things will come mm -hmm. off and what's the conclusion well they're studying them right now there was just something on fox about it. they're studying some of these materials and what they will find because i actually the ones they're talking about i actually took to new mexico and had five scientists study it um about five years ago i got my hands on it got to study it the the famous parts they're talking about now it's layered and the way it's layered is what they're trying to see if it's anomalous elementally or the way that the elements are bound together, and also the uh, the atomic level of, of layering is what's interesting. We'll find out if well, it's explain what you're talking about. What is this thing that you saw? Okay, well there is uh, there are a lot of different samples, but when you get a sample of something and you can how see how big it, are these samples? Uh, the ones that that I looked at, yes. um, they ranged from about this size Speak, down. Uh, audio, uh, they, you know, they ranged from the size, size of an orange. Yeah, size of an orange to the size of a quarter. These are materials, right? And are they materials from a crash? So that's the, uh, allegedly, or there's a known crash. This is in the public domain rather than uh, you know government control. So what we were, what I was looking at, or having the scientists look at, is isotopically and elementally. What are the elements that are in this? Are they engineered? And what's the conclusion? Well, I I'm not. Uh, I'm going to leave it to the people that are doing it now, who have much better machines than I had. Do you know any Cliff Notes? Yeah, they, they. From what I understand, there's um, atomic layering. There, there are levels of like we do with graphene. We lay down these layers that are uh, basically oriented at a certain degree. That's how you get a superconductor or something like that. If you take a piece of graphene, and you and it's highly machined, so it's not doesn't deviate from that atomic layering. You can push it right through ice like a hot knife through butter. It's the weirdest feeling in the world because you just take this piece of what feels like graphene and it just goes right through butter because it's a superconductor and the heat from your hand melts the ice. So that that is a metamaterial. It doesn't occur naturally. Humans created it, and it has special properties because of the way it's atomically layered. So if these materials are from somewhere else then there, we, we suspect that they're going to be highly machined, that they're going to be created for special use. So my whole point is our material science has not caught up with the physics that we understand for these field propulsion systems. I'm just telling you, believe me or not, but you'll hear more about it, that, that our material science in 1989 and today is our limiting factor. And as our material science gets better as humans, we know how these things work. Now, the fuel source, that's a whole nother conversation. But as far as creating these machines, 
Um, that's what we're trying to do. That's why there is secrecy. We're trying to exploit the technology because whoever exploits it first wins. It's a game changer. We don't want Russia to do it. We don't want China to do it. If we had a non-reactionary propulsion system, the world would look different instantaneously. What What is your perspective after the incident versus before the incident? Like, how much did it change the way you view the world and our place in the world? For me, um, I, I mean, I always, I never believed that we were alone. It's just me. I just look up and go, there's way too many stars up there for us to be right. alone in life. Um, after it, you know, it makes it a little more clear to go, you know, one, my questions are, where'd it come from? That's that's the biggest one. Of, where'd it come from? What was it doing? Um, you know, and then I've asked, why me? I mean, why Why did I happen to be, because you can say wrong place, wrong time. Right. Um, or right place, to right see, time. Or right place, right time. Um, for me, it was, I, I think there's more out there. And if if I could get word out to anyone, it's like, you know, especially the, the debunkers of, one, quit trying to debunk it because it is what it is. It wasn't a, there wasn't a system glitch. This, I mean, this was a real incident that happened. And number two is let's open our aperture a little bit and start thinking outside of the box. You know, if you go... You know, you look at it and go, hey, it's this non-reactive propulsion. Well, it's because when we came up with propulsion, we, de- we, you know, the people long before us came up with a reactionary propulsion system. And that became our standard. Had we done something different or we developed non-reaction, we might look at something like a gasoline engine and go, holy cow, how's that thing work? Right. We wouldn't have that idea. So, you know, I think there's, you know, if, if you look at it and go, people thought Einstein was kind of nuts. And we're still proving his theories today. And what we're learning is that he was right. And he was right. There was a time when the earth was flat, except for some people in California. The earth isn't flat. It's round. <laughs> it's um, not just people in California. They're all over the there's place. There's not an ice wall. Um, right. <laughs> so, so, so when you look at that and you go, you know, a lot of the stuff that we thought was true isn't true. It, it's totally been changed. So for me, I just say, I think let's get outside of the box and go, if we can develop a technology that would... And, and I don't look at it from a military standpoint because it would be a game changer from a military standpoint. Technology like that would be a game changer for mankind completely. I mean, it would literally uh, – everything that we do, you know, and we don't know exactly, you know, you, you could, you know, do you want that system in a car? You know, people have right. trouble driving in two dimensions, let alone three. Right. You know, they – we'd be <laughs> – you know, it's, it's kind of like your joke last night. I mean, I mean, you can't even handle the vaping thing, let alone driving a car that goes up, down, works in three dimensions. We're well, that have... was what they originally wanted helicopters to be. They wanted to be flying cars. Yeah. If you get out on the road, you see how people drive. <laughs> like, yeah. And I always laugh because people think, well, we're three-dimensional. Like, we know that this table is not the floor, but it, really humans are two-dimensional people. And you learn that, especially when we would fight. Um, if you can really work in the third dimension, which is up, and mm. you go, well – we are three-dimensional. I go, no, if you look at like a tall building is, you know, 1,700 feet high, the big ones. And you go, no, you know, for an F-18 to do a split us, which is go from up here and just do a vertical 180-degree turn. So you're going this way and you go down here. Um, It's it's like 2,500 feet. Mm. And that's tight. That's a tight turn for a jet, Mm. you know, unless you're running like vectored thrust stuff. But there's – everything has a cost. So you do some big Hayaka, you bleed off energy. There's a cost associated with that. That to a pilot, that's three dimensions, to most people on Earth, you go, no, I'm, you know, I look at a hill and go, I don't want to walk up that thing. Right. You know, and in an airplane, it's a, it's a totally different thing. So just, if we just open up that expanse, you know, for what we're trying to do for technology and go, is there another way? Because we still build 
we still build suckers and blowers, which is a jet engine. Mm-hmm. We just refine the internals, the turbines, to get them to be more efficient. Where I go, why don't you just put your efforts someplace else? Like I was talking to um, – there's a whole realm of physics that really doesn't get explained, and it's uh, – I was talking to Steve Justice about it. It's more into the magnetics type side um, that we don't we don't spend a lot of time on. And I know when he said when he was working at Skunk Works, he did – it's called IRAD, Internal Research and Development Money, that he would fund to try and look at some of these other technologies for propulsion. And, uh, you know, he's, he's now since retired, but uh, really impressive to talk to him. At the level that you can, which is, you know, for us would be an unclassified level. Um, but, you know, the stuff that goes on behind closed doors, there's reasons for it, you know, because if a technology like that got out where someone could rapidly reproduce it after all you've done, you know, or they got it first, you think of the atomic bomb, you know, Germans almost had it, we got it, Russians were working on it, we got it first. Changed the world. Literally changed the world when we detonated the first one. And you go, I'm not going to get into the politics behind it. But now we had it and now it was the race everyone else because they had to get on equal par because it's a destabilizing thing. And now all of a sudden if you develop a technology like this and you keep it to yourself, you've got something that no one else has and it's a huge leap. I mean it's a quantum leap. Do you, do you share it because it's, it's a mankind thing? Or do you keep it for yourself? You know, and that's right now it's not for me to decide. I'm just Dave. Well, it's fascinating that some other f- method of propulsion could have been established in some other place. Yeah. And that we're experiencing it or that you've experienced it and some other folks have experienced it in action. And I, I just think for us as people as human beings in 2019 it's really easy to think that what we have now is so amazing and that what we have now is the pinnacle of discovery and that what we have now is uh you know the with our electricity and with our led screens and that we are experiencing like the height of technology when if you're some creature from some other planet that is got easy access to element 115 and some gravity propulsion system, you're looking at us like we're digging holes in the side of a mountain to protect ourselves from the rain. We're cave people. Yes. Yeah. We, well, we do that here on Earth. Yeah. I mean, you look at like a first world, you know, like the United States sure. or, you know, these the, the developed nations. And then you go to some of these other and go, you know, people are still getting their water out of a hole in the ground with a bucket. Right. Or people in the rainforest that are living these indigenous lifestyles. Yeah. So... You know, take them something. I mean, take them one of these flat screens down to one of these tribes that mm-hmm. no one's ever seen and go, hey, look, yeah. and start showing them pictures of themselves that you're shooting real time or video that's feeding directly right. into it. They'll, they'll freak out. They'll think it's like, magic. Would you capture my soul? Right. Um, so it's it's where are we at and where are we going to do and what can we do? Did it change the way you look at life? I mean, even though you knew that or you had this feeling that we were not alone just from looking at the stars, and but when you actually see the thing, like how – I mean, I would imagine that that has got to really shift your perspective. I don't know if it shifted my perspective, but it was more of a – it's a validation. A confirmation. To go, you go, yeah, you know, I've always like, yeah, all right, there's a lot of stars. And then you see something like this and go, well, maybe we're not because that, that pushes you to the next point to go, you know, I, you know, if one lands in my front yard, then I'll be 100% sure that we are not alone because it's sitting in my front yard. But, I mean, I got within a half mile of this thing. Um, which is 
people go, well, a half mile is pretty far away. Again, not when you're flying an airplane. A half mile is like really tight. I when they bring close. you in to have these conversations with high-level government officials, how long are these conversations? So I went to the – I've been down – I've talked to three different groups of people. This is post the, the is post New, York New York Times, Times article? article? So the New York yeah. Times article comes out in 2017. Yes. And then our, our government – The other pilot that was involved – had been to D.C. multiple times. This is how kind of I got in touch with Lou. She had called me and said, hey, I need to talk to you. So I, I called her and I said, what's going on? She says, hey, have you been – has anyone called you about the Tic Tac? And I said, no. She goes, you know, I've been to the Pentagon like a half dozen times and they'll take me in and anywhere from Starbucks to, you know, inside of a vault. And she goes and they'll talk to me about the story and then they'll show me a picture. Something goes to look like this. And then she gets pretty frustrated and goes, we call it the Tic Tac because it looked like a Tic Tac. What part don't you get? I mean, go get a thing of Tic Tacs and look at it. When they're saying, did it look like this? Are they showing actual crafts that they have? No, not pictures that they have, but like a video from someone else. Like they'd show the gimbal video. Hey, did it look like this? Okay. And and it was no. So, and that's when I told her, I said, well, just just tell this guy that you're talking to, just give my name and number. I go, I'll talk to him. It's not a big deal to me. You know, and that started. So when we, I got asked, you know, multiple times to go down and talk to, to people, one of them was supposed to be 20 minutes, and these, you know, these are important people. Getting 20 minutes of some of these folks' time is like, that's a huge deal. So we went in thinking, okay, we're going to do the thing in 20 minutes, and then we're in. And, uh, and an hour and a half later, we came out. I mean, that's the interest of, you know, and there were some, you know, you get the group, you know, the folks that come in and out. But there's a few um, that just sat there and were enamored by what we were saying. Like, you're, you're joking. We're like, no, this is, this is all real. I mean, and these are... These are pretty senior officials that are taking the time out of their day to take this serious to go, you know, maybe we do need to put a little emphasis on this. I mean, if, if, if literally if something can just show up at will and do whatever it wants, and I'd probably at least pay attention. Yeah, pay attention. But what could be done? I mean, what could they do? If well, you were put yourself in a position of one of these high-level government officials, what do you do? Just spend more money on looking at them? Well, if you look at money, though, I mean, I know when the article came out and they talked about the ATIP program that Harry Reid got funded $22 million over five years. So it's yeah. $4.4 million a year. And you go, everyone's freaking out. Oh, it's $22 million. I go, no, it wasn't $22 million a year. It was $4.4 million. That's not even in the rounding error for the United States. We just got approved, what, it was $750 billion for a defense budget. $750 billion. If you took a hundred million out of that, it's not even going to put a dent. And I go, why can't you? T-, you know, if you're if you're only spending four four point four million dollars a year, and you can actually get some good work done, because you don't need a huge team. Because you figure, if you look at, I think, I think what's the number like, ten fifteen percent of all these UFOs, like if you look at Project Blue Book, really remained unexplained. And you go, okay, so you can weed out, you know, you can read out me flying over someone in a campfire and lighting my afterburners. <laughs> uh, so you can go, no, that was Dave being Dave. Um, so you can weed that stuff out. Now you go, now I'm really kind of concentrating the funds. The most important thing, and I talked to the folks when we were talking, because we talked about funding, and I said, let me leave you with this. Um, and I had got some pretty good stuff. I was talking to Chris Mellon, who's a former undersecretary and understands how the government works. So it was where he gave me some really good feedback. And I said, I talked to him. I said, look, I'm all for you guys funding a program. But what you need to do is fund a program that there's going to be oversight over. And when I say oversight, I mean – because what happens is you go, here's money, but we're going to distribute it in the government. So we're going to distribute it to these three different agencies across the United States government. So, you know, just call them agency A, B, and C. So you give it to them, you know, and I'll go back to like the 9-11 stuff where we really had the answer, 
but all the agencies weren't talking to each other to put all the pieces together. And that's my fear that you go, hey, we're going to take $100 million of taxpayer money. We're going to fund a program to actually seriously investigate this stuff and look at the technology. But there are three different entities working on their own and not talking to each other. So there's mm. got to be a joint collaboration to we go, we're going to do it, but you know, Joe's going to be in charge and you guys are all going to play nice in the sandbox together because we want to get our money's worth because people will raise the, the fraud, waste, and abuse flag that we're wasting money on something stupid. Now, the gimbal video shows a different kind of thing. Yes. How many different kinds of things are you aware of? Well, those are ours, too. If you, if you look at the gimbal. GoFast, it kind of looks like a Tic Tac. Um, so you could say those two are the same. You know, I, I think there's other stuff out there. Um, you know, and sometimes it's not that the – you got to look at where, where do you obtain the video. It's just like intelligence. You know, mm -hmm. and I'll use – because I know you got that picture of Pablo out there. You know, and there was the guy – Tom Cruise made the movie about him. Uh, what's his name? Louisiana dude who was flying the drugs for Pablo in and out. Barry Seal. Barry Seal. You know, hey, it was all great until Reagan posted that picture that they had the cameras inside the cargo plane. And then Pablo puts it together. The only place that picture came from is – Barry Seal's airplane, you know, and then now Barry Seal's a dead man. So you got to watch when you release because you go, hey, we got this video, but it was taken someplace we probably weren't supposed to be. Mm -hmm. Or how did they get that video? Right. Like I'll look, the video of our uh, – the Tic Tac video, that thing first came out. <laughs> it's kind of funny. Um, the guy that was in my back seat had sent me an email, and this is about probably 2008. So I was retired. Um, and he sent me this video. You say, Skippers, this look familiar? And it was on strangeland.com, not suitable for work. <laughs> I'll just say that. But I look, and then next thing you know, it's on YouTube. So when I would tell this story to my friends, I would go – I'd send them a link to the YouTube video. And this is years before the New York Times article. And then when they did the unofficial official report, the, the video was taken down off of YouTube. And, you know, it kind of puzzled me, like, why would you take the video down? And I told the guys when they did the unofficial official report, I said, what you really need to look at is how did this thing come off of a classified drive system on an aircraft carrier and end up on strangeland.com and YouTube? Because at the time, the videos were classified secret. And, and that's not because it was a UFO. It's the, the AT FLIR video. They did not want that released. So you'd see it on CNN. They blocked out all the performance stuff of what the airplane was actually doing. In this case, you know, the one you see, it's 250 knots of the autopilot on, so it's not that big of a deal. But... You know, Jeremy, how, how many different types of vehicles are you aware of that have I mean, been reported? Uh, credible reports uh, for decades, uh, hundreds of different shapes. Even Lazar himself said he saw you know nine different styles all working off the same propulsion system. The Tic Tac shaped you know vehicle uh, that that goes back in history. Some people say cigar shaped. You know. Um, Big ships, small ships. We, you know, they're all different kinds. I, I think it's important to state, though, there there are other funded, government funded UFO programs. Um, it's a misnomer, actually, that ATIP was the recipient of the twenty two million dollars. It was actually Harry Reid created a program called OSAP. OSAP was the sole beneficiary of that twenty two million. New York Times got it wrong. And then what happened is ATIP was a different funded program to study military encounters with UFOs. OSAP was created because of Skinwalker Ranch, a government program to study UFOs and associated phenomenon. ATIP and OSAP communicated and shared information, but they were independently funded. So the $22 million was for OSAP, and then ATIP had its own sources, and then they did collaborate. Two UFO programs. There are more that I think we're going to learn about. So the different shapes that Bob Lazar saw 
um, there was nine different shapes that he saw yeah, inside he the saw hangers. Nine. Only one up close, yeah. And none of them were like the Tic Tac. Uh, not specifically. However, that's not an uncommon. If you go back in history of like military sightings of craft going maybe over 20,000 miles an hour, the Tic Tac is a shape. They have triangles. They have ones that look like rectangles. The thing that is common with all of them is the non-reactionary propulsion system. I think even Commander Fravor said the thing noticed him was words he first said to me and, and kind of went towards him with its nose. But it could move in any direction, right? I mean, it could just move at will, however yeah, it, it was when we first saw it, it was just basically, it never turned. It was just going left, right, you know, kind of doing this. Shape like probably this doesn't matter. And then yeah. it became aware because it turned and it actually mirrored what I was doing. When I was coming down, it came up and, you know, so it was obviously knew we were there. And I don't know if it was picking up, you know, energy coming off the airplane or what. You know, I do know that when they tried to lock it, it actively, you know, it, it jammed a radar, it made it pretty much useless and you know chad was pretty good about kicking it over and grabbing that video so it's pretty wild it's a big deal to actively jam a radar of ours you know yeah it's um you know whenever someone tells you an awesome story it's great to hear but god i wish i saw it myself you know yeah, it's like you this got, thing it's like, yeah like you're, you're telling me, and I'm like, wow, I'm listening, I'm trying to imagine, I'm putting it in my head, I'm, I'm, I'm visualizing it, but damn, I wish I could see it. Yeah, I said this to a guy where he, he's he's pretty prominent. I don't say who it was or what his position was, he's pretty prominent in the UFO community. I'm not really a UFO guy, and he starts quoting like Jeremy Kenny quote events. Oh, this was this this event, that event, that event. Mm -hmm. and he keeps looking at me, goes, Well, do you know about this event? And I go, Nope, and he goes, What about this event? And I go, Nope. He gives like three of them, and I look at him, and he goes, well, you're not a UFO guy. I go, no, but I chased one. Have you? And he goes, no. I go, well, I'm an expert. <laughs> and it, you're and an he actual. Seem, he kind of got deflated a little bit because he, yeah. he looked at me like, you suck. Well, and, it's like people that are into baseball stats, but they've never played. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you got to get got to get your hands yeah. dirty. Get out in the field. Yeah. I'm, I, I'm with you, Joe. Like, I wish I had seen it. I've been so curious about the propulsion system since Lazar. And I wish I could see something, too. But oh, my God. Yeah. I would give so much. I'd almost yeah. think about running for president just to win, just so I could get in and find out about UFOs. Everybody's tried. And then go, I quit, bitch. <laughs> Everybody tried, though, man. Clinton tried. He tried Did to get. He? Yo, big time. That was his. The, he came in. He said, I, first thing, he Webster Hubble, he said, I want to know two things. Who killed JFK? And I want to know all about UFOs. And they, he was denied access. And he later said, it's not the first time I've been lied to or denied information after asking for it. Bill Clinton said that. Additionally, Jimmy Carter, he said before he was president. President. I'm going to find out. Well, Jimmy Carter supposedly saw you. He did. He said, I'm going to find out. I'm going to tell you. Never talked about it again afterwards, after he became president. Wonder what his briefing looked like. You know, and then the, so many presidents have tried because they're like us, man. They're curious. Mm. However, this information, from my understanding, which is an informed understanding, is so compartmentalized. Yeah. That makes sense. Listen, um, is there anything else? Just one thing. I okay. want to make sure to brief you on Storm because I still blame you for it a little bit. Can I, can I do not that? not my idea. No, no. not on. my idea. Can I just give your audience yes. a quick, quick break now? Okay, so check this out. I uh, made a movie, Bob Lazar, Air Force One, and Flying Saucers. Joe blows it up. I go on a show with Bob Lazar, which was awesome. Thanks for letting Bob tell everybody what happened. My pleasure. And then the world lit on fire. Now, from a sociological, uh, pop culture standpoint, what happened on that day is huge. And I don't want to 
to be missed on anybody. So a kid watches your podcast, watches the movie, puts up this Facebook page, Storm Air 51. Oh my God, that's a big problem, right? So I ended up talking to the kid and all this and helping, trying to help him navigate. Kid went left. He should have gone straight. Anyway, vent went down. Rachel, Nevada, where Area 51 is where the access points go up. We all went out there, right? Um, but really, Rachel, nobody wanted people to come. It's a town of 52 people, one business. The, the residents, I live in Pioneer Town, California. It's tiny. You don't want your whole town taken over by potentially dangerous millions of people that are signing up for this on, on Facebook, right? So it's this huge phenomenon that happened because of going right, on. What happened? So here's what actually happened, because the media has completely lied to you. They said 150 people showed up. Yeah, it's a total fabrication. I have the footage to prove it. We had an event in, we, I, I participated in an event in Heiko, Nevada, which is safely 50 miles away from, you know, Rachel, where they didn't want us. And on the fly, 3,000 plus, it's, to me, it's a, a huge win, 3,000 plus people, even though they were scared to come because they were told to be scared to come out there. That it's going to be a riot. Okay. And they peacefully assembled and enjoyed this thing I had. Um, but what what happened? There's well, nothing. They just got together. 3,000 well, people. Yeah, but everybody came with the idea that they're curious about this. It engaged a whole new audience of people. We had Dave Foley talked. We had Paul Oakenfold, some famous you, you guys, People talked? Do you yeah, have microphones set up? Yeah, we had. A, um, I set it up. I brought in speakers. Right. I brought in speakers. Dave, did you uh, avoid this? Yeah, I'm not, you know, I'm a military guy. I'm not storming a government. But that's about the stupidest nobody, thing I've ever heard. It's like, hey, let's go. That's like, hey, let's Thank all you. jump the White House fence. I'm like, are you whack? That's yeah. the dumbest idea on the planet. Yeah, I didn't understand the benefit of getting all those people together. No, no, people were going. And so my point was, well, let's at least bring people who can talk about it and, and have a, a civilized, fun time and see what people want to do. So my point is... It's amazing anybody came out to begin with, and nobody went crazy. Have so, you, what is the 150 people that were reported? Where they maybe go? at the gate itself to go see? So that's probably would have happened if someone like you didn't come along and organize something else. Yeah, I didn't organize it, but I definitely advocated for safety, and and it worked, and and it was a success. So they just got together and talked. Three thousand people got together and talked. Well, it was spread out all throughout. Like people, they didn't. Rachel, the community didn't want people. There was an event there though, and the in Heiko where I was was the event with the stage and the fun stuff we all did. George Knapp was was there as well. How did you promote this? Well, they did the event. They promoted it because people were already coming. Did and, you promote it on social media? Oh, well, sh sure. I said if if you're going to go somewhere, that's where I'm going to be, and okay. it's going to be safe and sane. My, my point is this, um, you have so many people that are curious now and don't underestimate what happened when someone watched your podcast and that happened, boom, you've got all these new people who are interested in it. And I think that's important because this UFO phenomenon is real. You've got fighter pilots that engage them. It represents a non-reactionary propulsion system. And that's a physics that would change the world. So the more people that come together and say, we're interested, the louder the voice we got. I think it's cool. And I had some alien Budweiser. Great. Well, I, I don't know if there's really any benefit to people physically getting together, but I do think that there's a lot of benefit. Fun. I'm glad you had a good time. But I do <laughs> think there's a lot of benefit to this discussion. And, uh, and I really think there's a lot of benefit to hearing the stories from people like you because uh, that's the only thing that matters to me. When It's like I need to know the person who's telling me the story isn't full of shit. So when I get it from someone like you, I really, really appreciate it. So um, – that's it. Thanks for being here. Thanks for telling your story. Thanks for having thanks me. Thanks for being you. Thank you, Jeremy, for thanks, setting Jeremy. this up. And, and thanks for your documentary on Bob Azar, which really, like, 
fucking turned me around. Thanks, man. That was the one. All right, that's Thank it. You. Bye, everybody.